3: One. That's the job of the government, is it But it's us that still go out, walk for lives away, pay for all detectives, pay for absolute everything. I've not seen any guards. they have seen more parking enforcement officers than I've seen guards. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to not be myself. And there's nobody going to take that from me. Join the conversation.
2: Call 0818 96 96 96.
3: extra WhatsApp 0833969696. Email opinion at
2: 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion. With PJ Coogan 96FM
4: Yes, the opinion I'm, but not with PJ Coogan this morning. I'm Joe Shea. I'm sitting in for PJ and uh, looking out the window here. It's a bit of a grim morning this morning, but actually, the good news I can tell you is that it is going to get better over the weekend, and Sunday should be, um, should have 18 degrees in Cork and a bit of sunshine. So that's to look forward to the May Bank holiday weekend. So we'll kick it off this morning. Now, uh, this is uh, one that I, a story that I'm personally invested in because it's a place I know. Well, we know that Cork, right, at the, at the moment, we're kind of doing very well well, we're flying, more and more people are coming here. You know, there's been a big change since the pandemic. A lot of people are relocating outside of the big cities. There was a big feature actually in the Times London newspaper last week saying that a lot of Brits were actually starting to choose West Cork and Kerry over Cornwall and Dorset and places like that as the ideal place to relocate their lives to. Uh, one couple of kind of well ahead of the game are David O'Halloran and Martin Buckley um, from the famous, the gorgeous lifeboat Inn in Court Mac um, they did recently did a real nice piece in the Irish Independent and one of the things, that, that one of the quotes jumped out at me. They said, we, we left stress behind in Dublin, now we just laughed. So we're talking to the two guys here this morning, Martin and David. Um, so Martin, uh, can I ch- start with you first because you guys had some very good news recently with a very big award, didn't you?
5: Yeah, we won the Food Lover's Choice Award on the Wild Atlantic Way in the Good Food Ireland Awards last week. So that was very exciting.
4: Yeah, because that that awards you know, the, first of all, that's that's a very prestigious award ceremony and, and uh, you know and, and awards in general. But that was basically for the whole the whole Wild Atlantic Way. It's not just Corks, not just Munster. It's basically from Kinsale to Glenties and Donegal, isn't that right?
5: Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, you were up against tough competition, but it was it was great to win, right. um, and it's great to have the support of the customers and people voting for us.
4: Yeah, because it wa- it was a public vote, wasn't it? yeah it oh, was yeah so can you tell me about the lifeboat in when did you guys take it over
5: so we brought the building in 2017 in june um and basically it's a seaside pub it's on the harbor here in court mcsherry so we have a garden overlooking the water and then uh, we have the pub itself, which seats about 50 or 60 inside. And it's, it's our little dream project.
4: Yeah, because I know people, you know, obviously Cork people will know Court Mac very well. They'll know the lifeboat in for, you know, I suppose going back many years has been a business there. But your, your beer garden especially is something, is something special, isn't it? I mean, how much work did you have to put into that? And what, did, what do your customers think of it?
5: Um, so what we did in the first year was we built a decking,
4: um, so that kind
5: of gave a level space on directly on the water, mm. so it's beautiful there in the evenings when you can watch the sunset and you can eat your seafood and you know it's a bit of crack out there, there's always a great atmosphere out there, um, but yeah we've put a lot of work into it, um, expanding it and just making the seating better and just keeping it nice and nice and tidy for the guests.
4: Yeah. And you're the chef there, so what what's the food offering like?
5: Uh, so this time of the year, it would lean mostly kind of, it'll start going more towards seafood. So um, we'd have mussels, you'd have your prime fish, like your monkfish, jandori, but also there's, um, you know, you'd have your hake and we'd have the steaks. We use local meat suppliers as well. So there's just kind of something for everyone, is is what I like to kind of aim to go for, mm. just to make sure we're covered across the board.
4: Yeah, and David, I'll I'll bring you now because I talk to talk to Martin a lot. Um you're in front of house. Uh, how are things at the moment? Are you starting to ramp up now for the for the spring and summer season? Yeah, definitely. Um,
6: you can feel the the buzz in the air, and there's more people around, and yeah, you can feel the season starting to kick off. Um, so it's a kind of exciting time just before the. The season goes into full full swing.
4: Yeah, are you expecting to be busy this weekend? Because, like I was saying, there the the weather hasn't been great this week. It might be we're we're going to see an up an upswing. Apparently, a big change on Saturday night going into Sunday. But uh, are you expecting to be busy over the Maybank holiday weekend?
6: Yeah, Maybank holiday traditionally is very good for us. Um, it's the first kind of big weekend. A lot of people come out of the city, out of Cork and, and down from Dublin, Dublin, um, and Cork. It's kind of like go to places where to a great buzz um, so regardless of the weather I think we, we'll have a good weekend but when the sun comes out it just adds another yeah. another layer You it, know,
4: It always does in West Cork Martin can you t- bring us back a bit what What made you make the decision to I know you were, you guys met in Dublin but I think you were in London together for, for quite a while as well um, and you worked at quite a high level over there as well but tell me about that and also the decision to come to Cork Hello Martin? Hello? Hello, yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
5: Yeah, we always had the goal um, to kind of open our own business together for many years. So we said before we did that, we'd have to get the experience. So we went to London and we worked in some good restaurants over there. And then I suppose it was just a matter of time finding the right building and finding the right business for us. Um, So we would have been looking for years for the right place. And all roads kind of led to West Cork. So we wanted something coastal. We wanted something quite casual, so we were looking for pubs. And then um, we found a lifeboat in. um, It was a beautiful location. The location was perfect because you're near Kinsale, you're near Clannacilty, and the building needed a bit of work, so it was it was just right for us.
4: Yeah, but what about then? You must have kind of opened not too long uh, before everything kind of went you know, pear shaped with the pandemic and and the coronavirus. How did that affect you? How long had you been going, and how did it affect you?
5: Um, so I think we were we had two summers done when the pandemic hit. Um, so you know it it allowed us enough time to build up the customer base and kind of get people to understand who we were. And I think that was very helpful in carrying us through the pandemic because, you know, people had a good idea of who we were so they kind of trusted us. Yeah. So we were opened up each summer and it, it was good in that sense but obviously the challenges of not knowing what was going on, and you know, the uncertainty of it all was very um, was very frightening. But but our customers, once again, like voting for us in the award carried us through. You know,
4: yeah. I, I saw it is good to go back to that award. It must make at the end of all of that period and all that uncertainty. It, might, it must be a kind of a fill up for you guys to kind of go right. Let's kick on now. Um, there's a there's a big summer coming up.
5: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we're 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 very excited for the season ahead. Yeah.
4: Now, David. Um what makes Cork and especially West Cork special for you? Because I know Martin's from McCroom, you're from Tipperary what is what is it about the place that you're in at the moment that makes it special for you?
6: Yeah, Corkmark is is a very special place, um, I think the whole of West Cork is really um, I suppose it's it's you have the best of both worlds you have a lovely um, close community um, so the locals are always there to support you and and you know, you can kind of make friends in, in the village and, and have a family life. And then come summertime, it just, it just explodes with mm. a ray of different kind of people uh, from all corners of the world come in and you have this crazy um, couple of months of just excitement and, and going mad. And then come the first September, it just all quietens down again. You're back meeting the locals on the beach, walking the dogs and you have a more serene kind of lifestyle in the winter. Mm. Um, so I suppose you you get the best of both you, you get the, the buzz um, in the summertime yeah. but in the winter then you, you get a, a nice quality of life you know
4: Yeah I know that Courtmac is a very strong uh, community spirit because I think your your local shop is, is actually a community shop isn't it it's run by the community for the community and that's the way they, that they manage to keep it open Yeah absolutely
6: um, it's a really hands on village um, everything from we say the development council down to tidy towns like everyone really pulls together to kind of make such a small little village work um and that community spirit comes through all aspects of, of life you know um you know he just cheering us on with things like the award or even you know people stop and chat to them we're cutting the lawn and it, it's a great little village I and mean, you see them up and down all of west Coast. it's not just come back look, come is is a little bit special but um no you see you see it everywhere and that community spirit is, is what makes West Cork special and that overflows out into tourists when they arrive, you know, they get the LO from all the locals, they get locals to pop into the bar uh, for food. It's not unusual for the locals to chat to them at the bar counter and that's, that's what makes West Cork, you know.
4: Yeah, and one thing as well, uh, about Cork Mac for years, people were associated with caravans, you know, and campers, or ca- the caravans down there and it's funny to me how one of the, the strange thing that happened during the pandemic was caravans became popular again, and also became kind of like people saw the attraction in them, and they saw the kind of, you know, we don't have to fly to Spain, we don't have to go to Thailand, we don't have to go to the Caribbean, we can go to, to West Cork, and and caravans became sort of very trendy, and people really really appreciated. Did have you seen that kind of change yourselves? Has it become a kind of a trendy thing to have a caravan in Corkmac?
6: Do you know, it's it's always been trendy to have a caravan court mac. That never lost the appeal. Yeah. Um, Whatever is magical about court mac, what we have here is we have third and fourth generation families yeah. coming to court mac. Um, like everyone at the moment who has a caravan in court mac can tell me about coming here and their children, yeah. and now they're bringing their children and they're bringing their grandchildren. So it's a beautiful kind of, um, I suppose, constant that they're tourists, but they're almost local. You know, yeah. they all have connections here. They came here as kids. Um the parents came here as kids, yeah. and so yeah it, it's super to that uh, you have yeah. that and in the pandemic, when everything was kind of it's hard to travel, you had these same same people down from Cork City and Dublin City the same faces come every mm-hmm. year and it's um it's brilliant it's a really nice tradition to have.
4: Well, that's what West Cork always meant to me, was you'd be down there and your cousins being the carving across there and your second cousins being the carving up exactly, the back of it. Yeah. And everybody just gangs of kids roaming around <laughs> feral yeah, yeah. for the day with, but with sandwiches. But uh, listen, one last thing, Martin, I want to ask as the chef there, right? If I go down to Cork Mac this weekend, if I go into the life, the beautiful lifeboat in, what's the one dish I should order off you? What's the most popular one or what's the, what's the, what's the house signature dish I should get?
5: you have to try the fish and chips Fish and it's, chips it's, it's our it's our signature that we built the business on um, when the menu was very simple in the beginning um, but we put a lot of thought into it I know it may sound simple but the chips are hand caught we hand make the tartar sauce the fish is local it's all freshly battered and cooked and it's 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 really fabulous. So it is. And Excellent. the setting makes it as
4: well. It does. The setting's great. I'm glad to hear you talk about tartar sauce because as far as I'm concerned, anybody who puts tomato sauce with fish and chips is a barbarian in, <laughs> in my book. You know? I don't, I don't want you know, to judge people, but they are. They're terrible. But, <laughs> but lads, listen, thanks very much for talking to me. Martin and David in the lifeboat in a beautiful court. Mac, congratulations on your award and great to talk to you today. Cheers, Joe. Thank Cheers. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, we'll take a little ad break. We'll be back with you shortly.
3: Cork's 96FM invites you to run the Cork City Marathon, Sunday, June 4th.
7: Whatever you do it for, be part of this summer's favourite feel-good event.
3: Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie for Sunday, June 4th. Do it now. Do it now.
7: With Cork's
4: 96FM. Uh, I keep saying PJ Cook, but it's actually Joe Shea sitting in for PJ just for one day today. Uh, you're all very welcome to the show this morning. Now, up next, we're going to be talking to a man who normally would be on probably talking about herbaceous borders and, uh, and stuff like that. But it's, uh, today he's talking to us about Cork Airport for a very good reason. John Hosford from Hosford's Garden Centre in Bandon. You're very welcome to the show this morning. Thank you very much, Joe. Thanks for having me on. No, it's good to talk to you, John. Now, John, this is very interesting to me because you've started a petition, and that petition involves Cork Airport and two other destinations. So can you tell us about it, please?
8: Yeah, well, I I feel by making people aware of it, it, uh, the more connectivity we have with Cork, the better, because if you're flying from Dublin or other airports, you're it involves a three- or four-hour car journey or going on the coach or whatever.
9: Yeah.
8: Or for very early morning flights, uh, you're probably talking about overnighting, and it's it's not cheap to stay in Dublin nowadays. It's much cheaper right. to stay in Cork. Yeah.
4: And, but, John, the two places specifically you want to see linked with, with Cork Airport
8: are? Uh, well, Newquay in Cornwall. Cornwall itself has a population of over 565,000. mm and um, there's a lot of, it, it's an attractive tourist area as well. I mean, it's famous for food and famous for art, the Tate Gallery, and, uh, and there's all kinds of things going on there. And uh, people in the gardening fraternity, it's a great gardening area as well, the famous Tresco Gardens on the Isles of Silly. Yes. And the oil of the city are 28 miles off the, the coast of uh, Vincennes. And uh, if there was a service brought back, it, it would link direct to the oil of Sky air link there as well. And uh, basically what I'm saying is that bringing back the two routes, Joe, would, would, it makes it more practical for people from Britain and from Ireland to yes. travel. Back and forth, because uh, it, it makes uh, the possibilities of weekends a, a possibility where you' know, so much time at the moment by not having the recruits lost. That uh, you you make better utilization of your time by coming
4: into Cork. Yeah, and because you've also the one, the other route you're talking about as well is Leeds Bradford, and that will be very interesting to Irish to, to Cork people as well, because it is you, uh, you, you, would, you get into Leeds Bradford and you can access a lot of places there, even if you're just interested in going over for the football for Premiership football for for well, you have the football and you have
8: uh, your fantastic history there Viking history in yeah. New York uh, you have a lot of uh, trade shows and conferences that are held in Harrogate and uh, Harrogate is only 20 minutes from Leeds Bradford Airport Yes,
4: and you have uh, great shopping as well in, in Leeds as well of course I mean, oh it, yeah, it's Leeds, a very strong yeah, city Leeds has become a real regional powerhouse now in the north for 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 uh, in the UK and it's interesting to me that if if we're talking about cork becoming the regional capital of munster of the south of ireland which we should definitely be aiming to do then a link to somewhere like leeds bradford and that the yorkshire region which is you know a huge business uh, uh hub there. that that would be very important. Not just for tourism, not just for football, not just for weekends away or shopping, but also if we're going to get serious about business links.
8: Yeah and in Yorkshire you actually Yorkshire is the largest county in the United Kingdom. It has a population of five point four five point four eight million over the population of the Republic of Ireland. we we're with that targeted into there should be potential to grow there yeah and I, I think the more direct routes we have over cork the better because um there was talk in recent times about having a second airport in dublin but yes i think a, a more sensible approach would be to to grow the other regional airports such as cork and shannon which yeah. have, uh, have capacity to grow i mean cork when the new terminal was built was built to cater for a uh, uh, market uh, or a capacity of 5 million. So there's plenty of room to grow there. There is,
4: because everybody loves Cork Airport. And one of the reasons they do is it's so easy to get through. But one of the reasons it's so easy to get through is because they're probably only doing daily a third of the flights that they have the capacity for. There's a capacity for huge growth there. And, like, uh, John, I'd be interested in this as well, because this comes up a lot in Cork if we were going to get more routes where would you go to because there were routes before such as direct from Cork to Madrid and that, that was hugely popular with the Spanish uh, with the very very yeah. large Spanish population we have here also we have a large Polish community in Cork and I'm sure they'd love more flights to not just to Warsaw but to Krakow and to other major cities in 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 Poland and also the, the, the this weekend there is a new um, route starting from Cork to Bristol which is
8: great because, yeah, yeah, Emerald, Airlines,
4: yeah. Yeah, Emerald Airlines which is the subsidiary of, uh, of Aer Lingus and that starts tomorrow and Bristol is is uh, I've been to Bristol, it's an amazing city it's almost the Cork of, of, of England right, and if I had more time I'll explain why but it's an old merchant port, it's vibrant, it's great it's really coming up and I think so, if you were looking beyond Leeds-Bradford and Cornwall, where else do you think we should be looking at? Glasgow, for instance? Is that one of the... First? Well,
8: there's, a, there's another guy in the petition up for Glasgow at the moment. I mean, Glasgow is a big Irish population, and there's yeah. a population of a million people. Glasgow, definitely. I think there should be a link into a Scandinavian hub. There's potential there. Yeah. Germany is very underutilized. Uh, Lufthansa came back last week. They're flying to Frankfurt three times a week, which is very welcome. But considering there's a population of 84 million in Germany, the largest largest country in the European Union by population and by economic power as well, uh, there should be a lot more potential to grow Germany, a lot more. So definitely I'd say Germany. Scandinavia, the Glasgow of course as well and uh, I know it's been a long term and I'd encourage that as well to bring a direct service to the US, we have a lot of American investment now in Cork and the the more connectivity we have the better, both from a tourism point of view and a business point of view definitely well
4: John John Hosford from Hosford's garden centre in Bandon it was great to talk to you and uh, listen anything any kind of push that we can make to get Cork airport busier to get Cork more connectivity for business for tourism for ourselves as well it's not just for people coming here for ourselves to be able to connect into places that's great and, well,
8: it's a, it's a, it's a two way flow well, exactly. I mean, it has to be that way because uh, that, that's the way it will work that's commerce it's-
4: one yeah. Well, yeah okay john the best of luck with your efforts and it's great to see people making the effort to do that uh, thanks very so much for talking to us this morning let
0: me show you what
2: it's all about. Simon Murdoch, and the best music mix.
3: Weekdays from midday on Corex 96 FM. I guarantee you the
0: biggest and best tunes on your radio every afternoon from these guys. What's up, y'all? I'm Beyonce. Hi, Ed Sheeran here. Hey, it's Miley Cyrus. Brilliant prizes, concert and festival tickets, cash money. Yay! Hi, Simon. Oh my goodness, amazing. I'm so excited. Thank you so much, Simon. And sometimes I get a bit nosy. I'm at work at the moment. And what do you do for
6: work? That's yes, a guest question, no. <laughs> Hey, listen, this is my show. I am the law around here, okay? Now, is your car taxed and insured it is. What is, what is? what is? Let me
9: show you what it's all about.
4: Simon Murdoch,
2: midday to 4pm on
4: Cork's 96FM Good morning, it's Joe Shea here sitting in for PJ Uh, Now we're going to talk about something that's going to be I think of a lot of interest to a lot of people the healthcare abroad scheme which the show has touched on in the past but if you have a health problem or are waiting on some treatment this is really going to be interesting to you if you know somebody who is because we're going to go to Sunny Denia in Southern Spain and talk to a lady called Deirdre, good morning Deirdre
10: Good morning, Joe. How are you?
4: I'm very good. How are you feeling? More importantly, how are you feeling? Tay? Fabulous. Good. Fabulous, <laughs> fabulous. is good. You I'm recent- on
10: my crutches this morning yeah, and you- I'm going back to the hotel later. <laughs>
4: right. Because you, you had an operation done on your knee yesterday, was it?
10: Yesterday, yeah.
4: Right. And, and tell us what... <laughs> no, what, did, what it did wasn't
10: you- major surgery. Right, <laughs>
4: yeah.
10: It was a keyhole. I had to have both sides of the cartilage repaired and my patella (laughs) but he said everything went very well and I could go home
4: (laughs) Okay, that's fantastic and how did you end up getting that procedure done in Spain
10: thanks to PJ Coogan I heard him on the radio about it (laughs)
4: <laughs> and this is the healthcare abroad scheme, isn't it?
10: Healthcare abroad. Yeah. Yes. Fantastic.
4: Right. So That's under the scheme, easy. now correct me if I'm wrong, but under the scheme, you can, if you're here in Ireland and you're waiting for a procedure, waiting for yeah. an operation, and
10: any you, procedure,
4: yeah, and you're going to be at, and it's going to be a while, as we know, it can be, unfortunately. Um <sighs> yeah. You can apply to to get this uh, procedure like this done in a place like Denia in Spain, and go yeah. out there, and and what happens then? Uh, how is it arranged it how is it paid for all yes. how that it of, of that yeah
10: after i heard pj i googled it i mm-hmm. got the number for healthcare abroad wrong them they sent me an application form i filled it out and they did the rest
4: fantastic <laughs> so they did the rest they I said you i didn't have to
10: do anything
4: right so they said to you all i uh, had to do yeah
10: all i had to do was book my flight then go up and verify the the loan with the credit union and that was it
4: okay Fantastic. So they said to you, you have an appointment in Denia, in Spain, on April yeah, the twenty seventh. So arranged to get there.
10: 20... Yeah. When did I go in yesterday.
4: Yeah.
10: Yesterday, 20, 26th, is it? And 20... I'm going home today.
4: You're... Right. <laughs> and so tell me, well, what was the what was the issue with getting the treatment here in Ireland?
10: Um, I was waiting two years to see a surgeon. Mm. And then when I did see him, he was absolutely the rudest man I ever came across. Looked me up and down and said, Hmm, we won't be doing the surgery. I said, Sorry? He said, We won't be doing the surgery. Uh, your weight. Your weight? Sorry, I didn't I didn't put my weight on until after I fell down the stairs. Of course. Oh, he went into a rant by why didn't I keep exercising? And I said, I couldn't, I was in too much pain. Yeah. Oh, what do you want me to do? He said, Go in and cut out the bad bits and give you new bits, and you think, oh, whoopee, I have 30-year-old bones. And, uh, sorry, and um, he says, "Um, uh, uh, you must remember, I'm sick. you're 62, he says. Oh, my God, I was in tears. He said, um, come back in a year.
4: Right. <laughs> so you had injured. decided. Yeah, you'd had an injury. You would fall on the stairs. I fell down the stairs. Yeah.
10: So your mobility
4: has yeah. gone right away there then because you can't get around. Oh, to yeah. That exercise. So you, oh, put, you put on put on a bit of weight, uh, as you would of do. Of course, yeah. And and but then that that counted against you then from getting the treatment or getting the treatment you needed. Yeah, but
10: they had no problem here.
4: Right. Yeah.
10: Well, now in fairness, they did ring me and ask me could I try and lose some weight before I came. Yeah. So they gave me a diet. And uh, two weeks before I came, I lost a stone.
4: That Well done. So, That's brilliant.
10: They were very happy with that. Yeah. And I asked the surgeon last night, I said, I'm used to going to the gym and doing lots of walking. When can I go back? Two to three weeks.
4: Fantastic. And, and, <laughs> and what's the experience been like for you? And how are they treating you in the hospital?
10: So far, absolutely can't do enough for you. Mm. Same at the hotel. There's minibuses out there over and back all day they'll take it to the supermarket, they'll take it to the pharmacy, they'll take it anywhere you want to go. Mm.
4: And is the language barrier a problem? No. Right. No,
10: not 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 one. If they do have trouble, they'll get out an app and talk, and they'll transfer it into English. Yeah.
4: Of course, everybody so can do that these days. So a problem so yeah. far. You can do yeah. that these days now with the phone. You just get out, you speak into the phone I and translate it for you. Yeah.
10: <laughs> yep, I have my own private room with
4: aircon. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're I'm having a better. You, you know what? The, what's the weather like in Kenya mm-hmm. today? I have to ask. Uh, today it's only about twenty two. It's gone
10: oh. down
4: a bit. Oh, terrible! Oh my 26. god! I
10: know.
4: Yeah, it, was, it was very tough on you there. Exactly. Yeah, and, and you haven't had room service in ten minutes. I'm sure it must be. You're, you're suffering. You're suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know it's actually? You no, know, it's dull, rainy, and cold in in Cork, and, and, and set to continue that way. For, for a few days.
10: Oh, I no no no. It's supposed to get good on Sunday. That's yeah. the day I'm coming home.
4: That's the day. Oh, see, I'm going to bring this. Yeah.
10: That's the day I'm bringing the sun back.
4: So, so yeah, <laughs> fantastic. So, if people, if if your friend said to you, right. "Is this something I should look? The healthcare abroad scheme? Is this something oh, I should look at?" What would you say?
10: I would. Oh, definitely a hundred percent. Not to be afraid. and you can take an extra person with you. Right. And it's only fifteen euro a night per person that goes with you
4: so a companion to come along and, and look at it. that's yeah. that's fantastic yeah and what about then Isn't you took that you took a loan out from the credit union um yeah. what happens so, then when you come back about, about when I come
10: back I ha- I have to pay the lo- the interest on or I have to pay the loan yeah. until the HSC pays but then you' are refunded all the money you have paid
4: right the, the in total in,
10: yes whatever I paid.
4: To to the 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 time the the
10: HSE paid, I get the whole lot back. Right. Okay.
4: That's fantastic. Now,
10: it could take take up 14, six weeks for the HSE to pay it. Yes. But I knew that, and I'm, I'm quite happy with that, as I know I'm going to get all the money back later that I paid off the loan. Yeah. So.
4: Well, that's great be because, yeah, because we know the credit unions are fantastic and they're, they're you know, they're flexible. Oh, yeah, you can go in and talk to them. They're, they're, Absolutely. They do a great job. Yeah. What about aftercare then? Because, you know, they're kind of often you can get a medical procedure, everything oh. goes fine, then you come back or yeah. you find out later you might need some physio, no, you might see some poor
10: treatment. I had my physio already this morning. Oh. And he said he'd leave me alone now until tomorrow. And I'll come back tomorrow morning and then i will be brought back again in the afternoon. And he doesn't normally work on a Saturday, but he's going to come in and give me more on Saturday. And when I go home, he said, maybe two more, and that's it. Yeah.
4: Fantastic. And now, yeah. now that you've got the knees the knee sorted, do you think it's it's going to give you a on then to kind of get back into your old routine? You said you like going to the oh, gym, you totally. like walking.
10: Back walking, oh. back to the gym. I. <laughs> Oh, the dog you get the legs walked off her. Right.
4: And what, will you see the surgeon again and show him your, your slim new look?
10: Oh, I, well, I wanted to keep the appointment. I have one with him in the 5th of June.
4: Right, okay. And my
10: son said, no, Mom, you can't do that. Right. okay. But I said, I'll have to go. I'm going to get an injection.
4: All right. Deirdre, it's, it's, it sounds fantastic. I mean, this healthcare abroad scheme. I recommend scheme, it. Yeah.
10: Highly, yeah. I'm going to tell everybody, loads of people, and Doug is waiting for me to come back to see how I got see on. See how
4: you got on. <laughs> like, Actually, I think, I'll think we'll let you go. I think somebody's knocking on the door with a margarita for you there, so we better let no, you go. <laughs> I have to
10: get a, an injection for anti-clogging. anti clogging, right. anti what is it? Yeah, you know you clotting, said. the clotting. So, anyway, yeah. clotting. That's
4: yes. the one. Yeah, Deirdre, that's <laughs> great. It's fantastic to hear. It's gone so well for you, and uh, and the, yeah, the best yeah. luck with your recovery. And thanks very much for talking thanks to us this morning. Thank thanks a million. Thank you. Bye bye. Have a good day. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Okay, that's great, That's the healthcare abroad scheme, and you can just Google it. And you can apply for it. And it really does sound like a, a fantastic scheme. You, you will have to pay some of the money up front. If you can get a loan from the credit union, you'll be able to pay that back afterwards. So that's lovely to talk to Deirdre Drought in Spain there this morning. And it's a really positive story. And she heard all about it, of course, on the show here with PJ. Fantastic. No, we're uh, going to move on because uh, we're going to talk about a situation I found myself in fairly recently involving a small child and a small animal uh, which is that moment when the when the nagging finally gets too much and you go out and you get a puppy and we have one ourselves uh, from my little six and a half year old uh, daughter and we got a puppy there recently and it's something that you know all families have to face and we're going to talk now uh to a lady called catherine griffin she's a dog behaviorist with snout and about and catherine's going to tell us about that moment when you have to make the decision and what you have to do afterwards so catherine you're very good morning. very good morning to you
11: Good morning, Joe. How are you doing?
4: I'm good. I'm great. Um, tell us about this, because it is something that most families with kids have to face at some stage, isn't it?
11: It is, yeah. And I was certainly that child at one stage in my life, too, mm-hmm. nagging mum and dad for a dog um, when I was little. So I know it's something that a lot of parents have to have to contend with, particularly when they're around that five or six-year-old um, stage yeah. of the life.
4: Yeah, it does seem to be that's, that's the sweet spot isn't it because I, yeah. like I know my own daughter wanted um, a, a puppy for her fifth birthday we thought she was too young she mm. really really kept after us about it um, what's is there there probably isn't an exact age but what's the right kind of age that you could start thinking about this
11: it's difficult to judge really because there's so many various factors to take into account about your own lifestyle and your own environment when your children are young I mean when we're looking at bringing a child into our lives, for example, those first few years are so critical to their development and their adapting to their world and their home, and also for the parents. You know, it's a very very busy time when our children are very young, and we often see dogs with babies. Um, is usually not as tricky as people might think, but it is when the children get to that crawling stage, yeah. the grabbing stage, when we start to get more movement. So. My personal opinion will be wait until they are that little bit older, but it's more that we have to consider than just the child's age. We have to look at our own time and our own abilities to commit to essentially bringing up what is effectively another child only yeah. with four legs and a tail.
4: Yeah, that's an interesting point because uh, we thought we had kind of left the kind of, you know, waking up at four o'clock in the morning with crying mm. phase behind us, but we uh, were actually pitched right back into that because if we're a young puppy and you have to, you, can't, you, you know, can't just put them outside the door and let them look after themselves. Yeah. You have to kind of factor that in as well, don't you?
11: You do, and there's so much to factor in as well. It's literally baby-proofing your house again, Mm. and it's not even looking at what we have at the current, present moment, but what our homes and our families are going to look like in a few years' time. So everything from going on holidays, what's going to happen with the dog, um, if there are going to be other children coming around and other families. Do we have the sort of environment where we can set the puppy and or the dog up for success by giving them those separate spaces so they can feel quite comfortable to be involved but slightly separate from children and other mishaps from potentially occurring. And as you said, of course, there is the potential for waking up in the middle of the night and the commitment then to the dog's development and training and socialisation needs um, and not to mention the monetary aspect of bringing a dog into your life when you have children too
4: Yeah, because you have to have pet insurance these days I mean, there's no two ways about it because, yeah. it, you know, something hap- something goes wrong uh, you know, the, the, the bills can be very uh, can be high, can't they?
11: They can, yes. And it's not even just for the medical aspects. You know, training is a really, really crucial, important part of bringing a puppy into your life. And we get so much advice from good old Dr. Google, which unfortunately very often isn't the right sort of advice that families need. So we would always recommend for any any family thinking of bringing a dog into their life because their child is asking to seek professional advice. Yeah. So our children, we see children tend to emulate a lot of parents' behaviour and bringing a dog into the home is a fantastic opportunity to teach kids about responsibility and empathy but through our guidance as the adults. So it's the adults' responsibility to educate themselves about dog ownership and then share that knowledge with your children as as almost like um, some doggy homework to do with them prior to actually considering bringing a dog into the family home.
4: Yeah, there's stuff like the size of your house as well because I I know we have friends who have a, a beautiful chocolate labrador but she is an absolute wrecking ball in a small little house and it's, they have they have a pine table in their kitchen and she's she's almost chewed through the the stretcher on 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 the bottom of the yeah. of the pine table like she's demolishing their house ever so slowly but so i suppose you have to think about that as well because we we are in a small city house we have a, a, a bit of a garden so but we got a little terrier a little uh, black and tan jack russell but mm. you have to think about these things well, you can't get a Bernese Mountain Dog if you're living in a, in a little apartment, can you?
11: No, well, actually, you can. Really? So, <laughs> yeah. So we know more these days about our dog's behaviour. Now, if you were if you were to have a giant breed in a home where they can't physically turn around, then we've got. But if our dogs are displaying very sort of rambunctious or high-traffic behaviours, exercise isn't actually the key to that. Yeah. Mental stimulation and seeing to that animals need is important. So if we have a lot of chewing behaviors, for example, and if it's not due to teething, we're actually looking at a dog trying to self-soothe and develop coping mechanisms for stress that they might be feeling. So by adding exercise and giving them lots of space, we're just essentially allowing them the opportunity to run around, which is actually further heightening their physiological stress. What yeah. we need to do is tackle them from a mental perspective by providing them with lots of stimulation, outlets for normal behavior and enrichment. And this isn't dependent on the size of where we're living. So it's more important to consider the type of dog and that type of dog's needs when bringing a dog into a family home and ultimately
4: Hello, Katrin, are you you hearing us? I think you've dropped, I think Katrin unfortunately has dropped out there. Katrin, uh, are you hearing us at all? No, I think Catherine's actually while while we're trying to get her back on the line, we can tell you that uh, Catherine is also an ambassador for Pups in the Park. That's a big event that's taking place this Saturday and Sunday in the Cork Showgrounds, which uh, people will know very well. Uh, It's a big event for families and kids and dogs, and uh, they run it in Dublin in Marley Park last weekend, and it's on this weekend in Cork. So it's going to be a lot of things such as you know dog behaviorists, people talking about dog nutritionists, and just a lot of stuff to do uh, on Saturday and. Sunday in the Cork Showgrounds for Pups in the Park. Um I think we unfortunately have lost Catherine, uh, so I think we um, may go to a break and we'll see if we can get her back. Thank you.
7: Whatever sport you support, grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon. The
3: Cork's 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns this May, and Friday 26th is
7: Jersey Day. You make me feel Get together with family, friends, colleagues or classmates and wear your favourite jersey to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services See 96fm.ie for more 96fm.ie for more
3: The Giving for Living Radiothon Supporting Cork Cancer Services May 25th to 27th You make me- you feel Join the
2: conversation Text for WhatsApp 0833 96 96 96. This is The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan Fox 96 FM
4: Joe Shea sitting in for PJ Coogan We're talking to Catherine Griffin She's a dog behaviourist with snout and about Catherine, thanks for uh, holding on to the line there and getting back to us Can I fire a couple of questions at you? Because we've had some listeners on um, This is a question uh, about um... Instagram and a lady who's asking, she's saying it drives me mad to see pictures on Instagram of newborn babies with pit bulls. What are people thinking? And I suppose it goes back to the question of: are all breeds safe with kids, or is it a judgment call? I mean, how how do you how do you work that out if if a dog is going to be safe to to be with children?
11: Okay, and yeah, we do. We get bombarded with lots of images on social media, very unhealthy images of children and dogs. Sort of straddling one another and cuddling. It is quite important to state this is nothing to do with pit bulls. Um, there isn't such a thing as a dog breed that is prone to acting in a more aggressive manner than another. Right. It's. Um, it's. A, that's a whole other conversation for another day. Yes. What it is is there is no such thing as a child that is good with dogs, and there is no such thing as a dog that is good with children. Right. It's not anything to do with the breed it's very very dependent on the individual dog and the problem is as humans we tend to have unrealistic expectations of what our dogs should tolerate in relation to handling and we don't just see these pictures with children we often see them with adults interacting with dogs inappropriately too and we're kind of we're generally flooded with these images through social media and film and television of this happy-go-lucky dog who's you know the heart of all the interactions with the family getting snuggled and cuddled and pulled out of and tolerating so so much that is actually just that it's tolerating it's not enjoying it and this is where the education piece is so crucially important for dog owners or people thinking about getting a dog that they, they understand what our dogs are happy with and what they're not happy with and how to appropriately form healthy relationships
7: between children and
4: their dog right. Here's another question after coming in actually from Dave who says the kids, his kids are 4 and 6, they have his head wrecked because they're, they're really pushing for a dog right now but his question is about kennels because this is obviously this is a very practical question when it comes up all the time Generally speaking, are kennels good around Cork? Is there a high standard? Are there standards enforced? Are, are there places that you'd be comfortable leaving your dog in and, and how do you pick a good one as well?
11: Yeah, and it's a really, really tricky one. And it's something that even a lot of my clients reach out looking for support for. So, again, kenneling situations, it's very dependent on the individual dog. Ultimately, dogs don't enjoy being away from their social attachment figures. So they're not going to enjoy being parted from their family in any way, shape or form. So what is quite important is that we, we work on building healthy attachments with our dogs. And ideally, there are people out there who offer in-home dog sitting services. So somebody would actually come into your home and look after the dog there whilst you are away or take the dog into their home. So kenneling is a tricky one. A lot to do with the dog industry as a whole isn't regulated. So my profession, for example, isn't regulated. So nice. there's a, there's lots of nuances when we're trying to find appropriate kenneling solutions for our dogs that sometimes we have to consider but ultimately one of the best things that you can do is work on generating a bit of a support network around you where you have friends or family who might be able to look after the dog yes. on your behalf it can be very stressful for dogs going into these situations and um, Sometimes it's a necessary evil, but the best thing to do is ask people you know or again reach out to a professional who might be able to guide you and direct you to a kennel that's going to be most appropriate for your dog.
4: Okay, great. Um, A question that comes up again a lot Are are there rules in this country about putting muzzles in dogs? And the the reason I ask is because I think every dog owner in Cork has been in a park where you're there, kids maybe, and the dog. Next minute somebody comes in, they have a big dog, they take them off the leash and the dog's running around with no muzzle and it makes everybody nervous. Are there rules about that in, in Ireland?
11: There is some legislation. So we have what we call restricted breeds and that means that dogs of a certain breed or any mix of that breed legally have to wear a muzzle and be on a lead under control um at all times when in a public space. So it's not it's not a legislation that I agree with all people in my profession think makes sense because the the reason and the statistics behind it are really really irrelevant um and it does create hype around certain breeds and deems them as being potentially yes. dangerous which we know just isn't the case. However, the number of dogs that we see out and about running off leads, um, it's more to do with off leads than muzzles more than anything else. Yes. And all part of being a responsible dog owner is not allowing your off-lead dog, no matter how friendly they are, to approach to other approach dogs other who are on lead yeah. and approach other people because not okay. everybody does like dogs and no. that's perfectly understandable.
4: That's great. Listen, and thanks very much for talking to us today.
11: <laughs> the Minds Are
4: Mine. Oh, hello.
3: Join the conversation. Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 83
2: 396 96
3: 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This
2: is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Pogs 96 fm
4: Yes, Joe Shea sitting in for PJ Coogan this morning. Um, We've got thousands in free money up for grabs this week on Cork's 96FM. All you have to do is snap the app. You Download the Cork 96FM app to your phone and snap a screenshot. You stay listening for your chance to WhatsApp in that screenshot and if you get called back, you're in the daily draw with Lorraine to win 500 euros in free money which would be very nice heading into a bank holiday weekend. So snap the app, download today and listen to play. It's always week long here on Cork's 96FM Now we're moving on now to a story that has been getting kind of a lot, a good bit of notice here in Cork over the past week or so. Um, it's a little girl who's living in London but she's very strong connections to Cork Her name is Sarah, she's six years of age and she's been battling a rare form of cancer that has very badly affected her, her eyesight. Sarah's godmother Ashling and her grand-aunt Catherine uh, are here in Cork and they're behind the GoFundMe uh, campaign and a very good morning to the both of you
12: Good morning to you Good morning morning.
4: Ashling. you're Sarah's cousin uh, and we actually talked earlier in the week um, but can you tell me uh, tell me a little about Sarah first of all because, you know, tell us a little about, about Sarah herself rather than jumping straight into what's wrong with her what kind of little girl is she?
12: She's very bubbly child she yeah. oh she's so funny, everyone that meets her just absolutely adores her, yeah, she's just amazing
4: what what kind of things is she into?
12: She loves dancing dancing is her number one her number one at the moment. she loves the singing she she has rehearsals for her school plays and everything that she does absolutely adores, yeah.
4: And and the family are living in uh, London, but what are their connections back to to Ireland?
12: Well, both of their fathers are Irish. Um, um, My uncle, which would be mum's brother, he's originally from Cork, whereas Pat's family would be from Kilfinnan. In County Limerick,
4: okay, and yeah. Kilmallock Okay, so a lot, of, like a lot of Irish couples, they're living in uh, in in London. Like a lot of Irish people, they're raising a family there. There's good, you know, there was good work there. A lot of people even left after the last crash yes. and stuff like that. So Sarah's one of three girls, is, is she, or three kids in in, in London?
12: She is, yeah. yeah. She has uh, two older sisters and she had an older brother as well Okay. who passed away.
4: Oh, I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, so the family have obviously faced, you know, heartbreak in the past and and now Sarah is, is seriously ill. Can you tell us a little about her condition?
12: Well, over two years ago, she initially got um, diagnosed with uvitis, which is inflammation in the back of the eyes. But only in February she got diagnosed with a rare genetic cancerous disease, Wagner syndrome. It's extremely rare. Um, it's her left eye, the retina is after detaching, and her right eye, there's a lot of build-up of gel that they're attempting to drain uh, next month.
4: Right, okay. So next month, Ashton, she's going for a, a, a very a serious operation in the, in the famous Great Ormond Street uh, Hospital for Children in London. Is that right?
12: Yes, she is. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. they're brilliant there for her.
4: They are. I mean, you know, people are a lot of Irish people will know Great Ormond Street and they'll know it from TV as well. There's been, you know, series uh, set there as well. What is the operation? What are they hoping to do? What are they planning to do with Sarah?
12: They're going to try and reattach the retina on her left eye, Mm. whether or not that will be a success or not. They can't even guarantee that. And they're hoping that the right eye won't go the same way, but they're hoping to drain the gel from the right eye to okay. give her some bit of vision.
4: Okay, so this is to sort of uh, almost to, to try and fight back against the condition to try and preserve what eyesight she, eyesight she has left. Does she have yes. any, uh, much eyesight at the moment?
12: It's it's very kind of cloudy. They're saying that she can only see about a metre in front of her. Mm. So she's going up close, even with her glasses on her Um. The light and everything just hits her eyes, and it doesn't help her at all. She's grabbed onto her mum where she's walking, or if they're shopping, she's holding onto the trolley. Yeah. Oh,
4: well, Catherine. Sorry, I'll bring Catherine now because yes. Catherine, you're, you're you're Sarah's grand, and do, what do you remember of her from the first time you you, you saw her? Because she was, she was in your home in in Cork, is that right?
13: The very first time we met her, she was about twelve weeks old. Yeah. And she was just a beautiful baby with beautiful ginger hair and big blue eyes, yeah. and they would come home every year to us. But she was only I think about sixteen months she was, and she was in our hallway with her godparents Ashley and Shane, and they were just kind of playing. nixon and she just and she walked. Right. Yeah. It was just a magical moment for us.
4: Yeah. So that's a very special moment when a, when a child takes their first steps. Yes.
13: Oh, it was very very special. Yeah,
4: yeah. And I've have seen photographs of Sarah, and she does have this great, flame-coloured oh, yeah. red hair. She's very distinctive looking, she, and she looks like a character as well.
13: Oh, she's absolutely amazing. She mm-hmm. just found so funny. She definitely keeps her parents going. Yeah. She makes them laugh every day. When there's the saddest times, she makes them laugh.
4: Yeah. Uh, that's interesting as well because uh, you know often children, young children, when when they are seriously ill, they they they, they almost sense that they have to kind of you know ease the burden on their parents, and often they will become sort of they will almost do that to try and cheer their parents up and, and help the family through that. Is is that your experience with Sarah?
13: Oh yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Even she just woke up and she gave him the biggest hug. Mm. She's just this loving, loving child, and anybody that meets her just falls in love with her straight away. Yeah.
4: It's difficult for, for Irish families, and especially for Irish families that are, are close and, and connected, for, to have people living abroad. And so many Irish families are in that situation. You have people, have family in Australia, in America, in England. And what's, what's it like for you, for you guys as, as, as family thinking about what they're going through in London?
13: I suppose the hardest part for us was not being able to go over to him as often as we used to because of COVID. Mm. And hopefully now in the next few weeks we'll just get over there and just give him support.
4: Yeah, because the GoFundMe as well. I mean, what what struck me about it was that you've had great support, but. It, it, there's not. they don't need a lot. They're not looking for a lot. I mean, it's 8,000 euros in the great scheme of things. That's not a lot of money. But what will the money be used for?
13: Well, the 8,000 would mean so much to them as a family. Mm. They need lighting throughout the house. They need to change even the colours on the wall because she walks into door frames, walks into the wall. Mm. And with the summer coming in, Sarah can't go out the back because she'd be high risk of sunstroke. So they need to build a shelter out just to keep her safe and everything is about her safety because she has been registered blind, she's getting her cane in the next few weeks. Mm. And just, to, just to help the family along at their hardest time of their lives. Yeah. They've been through so much.
4: They, they have and Ashley and I think people in Carrigaline, especially if they have sweet tooth, they can, they can help as well in, in the coming weeks, is that right?
12: Yes, they sure can. On the fourteenth of May, we're holding a cake sale in the Cargline Band Hall, next to the Catholic Church, mm. hoping okay. to to raise up the money of it.
4: So that's 14th of May in Cargline in in the Band Hall, so people can go along, they can buy a cake, they can maybe make a little donation, and they can help Sarah and her yes. family.
12: Yes, that's exactly it. yeah. Okay.
4: Well, that's great. And when is the operation taking place then in in uh, in Great Ormond Street?
12: The fifteenth of May, The 15th just the May. day after,
4: right? And I suppose the prayers will be said, and and you, you'll hear pretty quickly about how it went, and 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 what the future holds for Sarah.
12: Oh yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. it won't be in a couple of weeks after, till we find out how it went. But yeah. hopefully. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, well, we've shared the GoFundMe on our Twitter now the, on at Opinion Line ninety six, uh, so people can find the details there. We'll mention the cake sale again as well because I'm sure there's people in Carrigaline who'd like to get down and and show their support as well. So, uh, Ashley and Catherine, thanks very much for talking to me this morning, and thanks for uh, and if you can, I'm sure pass on the best of everybody in Cork to Sarah's uh, family because I'm sure they could do with all the support in, they can get right now.
13: We will. Thank you so much and thank you to everyone who have donated. People are just so kind. We do really appreciate it as a family.
4: Okay, that's great. Thank yes. you again.
13: Yes. Thank you.
4: Right, we'll take a little ad break now. We'll be back shortly talking about surrogate parents and the new laws that are coming in in Ireland.
3: Join the conversation. Call us now. 96, 96 96
2: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM.
4: You're very welcome back. It's Joe Shea sitting in for PJ this morning. Now, this is a very important day for Irish families who are involved in surrogacy or want to look at surrogacy as a way of starting or having a family. Families from across the country will gather at Leinster House in Dublin this afternoon at 4pm to voice their concerns about new surrogacy legislation, which will have a big impact on their lives and on the lives of and hopes of people who are looking at surrogacy as an option. We're talking to Sarah Byrne. She's with Irish Families to Surrogacy. Uh, Sarah, you're very welcome to the show this morning.
1: Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm Thanks good. for having me.
4: You, you're very welcome. Now, Sarah, can you tell us what exa- what, is ac- what is happening today and why are families travelling from Cork and from elsewhere in the country to be outside the Dáil?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So just before the summer last year, there was a special... Joint Eroctus Committee that was formed and ran for twelve weeks, which looked really in depth at international surrogacy and how it might be legislated for, and they they um, released a really robust and comprehensive report with recommendations about how it might be done very well. Um, so now it's there's a debate in the Daul this evening, looking at the report um, and assessing everything that was done in it. Um, and that's why we're travelling up today um, to support and to witness it.
4: And what are the concerns of Irish families through surrogacy? Because th- there has been some indications that the <laughs> the report itself and the recommendations of the report may be may not be fully taken up by in the legislation.
1: This is easy. Yeah, I suppose we just had a few concerns that, like the work that was done on the, the report was just unbelievable. Like the committee members really engaged so well with it for the 12 weeks and looked at every possible angle that they could. Like they got legal experts, medical experts, they spoke to parents um through surrogacy, they spoke to the surrogates themselves to get a really good handle on what was happening. But I suppose we just have a few concerns now that not about the report, but that the recommendations, we really just want to make sure that the recommendations will be fully followed. And I suppose there's indications that are showing that that mightn't happen as much as we might like. Mm. Um, for example, just for myself, like I have a daughter through surrogacy, and when this leg- legislation comes through, it's looking like possibly that we would have to go to the High Court in order to get a parental order for me to be legally named as her as her parent. Mm. Um, and to be honest with you, that just wouldn't be possible financially for us. Yes. Um, we went to the High Court already for my husband to be named, uh, to be given a parental order. Um, like we've had such immense legal costs already to get to the point where we are. We've had to go to court as well just for me to get guardianship when she turned two. You know, so I suppose our concern is that while it's amazing that the legislation will be brought in, we want to make sure that our members will actually be able to avail of it when it is brought in. Yeah.
4: You know. Can can you tell us a little bit about more, more about your own story? You have a daughter now. how how did you yes. how did you go about doing that? If, yes. it, if it's not too any um, delicate way of putting it.
1: No, no, absolutely. Um yeah, so I have cystic fibrosis. Um mm. I was lucky enough to receive a double lung transplant uh, seventeen years ago when I was nineteen. Um so when myself and my husband, you know, were initially talking about starting a family, it was really important to us. But like the first thing we did was spoke to my transplant consultant and he just advised us, look, with all the medication that I have to take day to day, the anti-rejection drugs, that it just wouldn't be advisable to go down the road of pregnancy and for me to carry my own child because I wouldn't be able to keep taking those drugs that keep me so well, yes. basically keep me alive, to be honest, you know. So um, it was really hard news to take at the time, you know, but obviously... We wanted to make sure that we were making the right decision so we started to look at surrogacy as a possible option um and after a lot of research uh we decided to visit the ukraine um to pursue surrogacy um the ukraine at the time like it's it really it has a really robust legislation everybody is really really well protected in it we traveled over and visited uh, the clinic that we were going to go to um and yeah, we signed up with them, and after about a year, our, our daughter Alice uh, was came into the world. Oh, um, so we haven't we haven't looked back since. She's an absolute yeah. adult, you know. So yeah, it's been wonderful.
4: That's that's fantastic to hear. I, I suppose it's it, surrogacy is something that comes up a lot now these days because it's becoming more of an option for people. I yeah. I'm guessing that yourself and Irish families families through surrogacy. You're not against regulation. You're not against, you know, the, the protections being put in place on both sides of the agreement, so to speak. It's not an issue of, well, why can't we do what we want? But it's, I suppose it's an issue of making it family friendly, making it, it, making it possible for people to navigate it, to not have to jump through endless legal hoops and to get, and to have their rights guaranteed, I suppose, as well. Because that's very important as well, isn't it? When you have the child to be able to protect your parental rights and to make sure that they have their rights as well.
1: Well, that's exactly it. Don't like That's the main focus of our group to make sure that our children and the future children that will be born through surrogacy are protected, mm. you know. um, And that's what we've been advocating for since day one, that there will be an ethical framework for surrogacy so that there's a really well laid out path for people to go down so that they are accessing ethical surrogacy, you know, to make sure that everybody is well protected, mm. the surrogate, the child and the intended parents, you know, but um, so that's what we've been advocating for, for from day one, absolutely, yeah. you know
4: Because I, I know from sort of from my own experience and talking to people before about this that it, when it comes to, to, to people who adopt and people who take the surrogacy nobody, there are few parents that take these issues as seriously as parents who, have, who do this because in a way they have to face up to, you know, the important issues because it is, it, it can be a difficult and long process
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like every parent just wants to do the right thing. You know, obviously they're so invested in making sure that they make the right decisions. And I suppose that's why we just really want to make sure that there is a path there for them to follow so that they can do those things. You know, it can be quite difficult. We have parents or intended parents contacting us all the time. You know, what should we do? Where should we go? And, you know, it can be difficult for us at times to point them in a direction because we don't have a framework to follow, you yeah. know. So if we had that framework, then it would be much, much easier, yeah. you know, and much safer and yeah. protected for everybody.
4: You know? well, the, the good thing is you, you have some some very vocal and good and strong advocates, um, you know, on your side, so to speak. Rosanna Davison is, is one of those. How, how has she helped you out?
1: She's been wonderful like that. She's just put her personal story out into the public eye which is so so difficult you know particularly for somebody in her position you know um but she's been so open and honest about her situation you know and i think that really helps um our campaign you know for people to realize that it just it affects everybody you know what i mean you no matter what your life situation is um you know surrogacy could be an option for for your daughter for your daughter's daughter you know what i mean it's just we really are trying to make sure that Everybody has the option to access ethical um, surrogacy in the future as well. Yeah. You know.
4: And you have families from Cork uh, going going up today for yes, outside. Yeah, up. yeah. Four p.m. What's the significance of everybody wearing green?
1: Um, I suppose it's just the colour that our organisation has has chosen, like to show obviously that for we Irish families for surrogacy. Um, so it's just something that kind of started initially and. Our supporters have kind of adopted it, you yeah, know. So that's, that's um great. it's and just to show that we're united really. Yeah, you know. And you will be
4: visible as well. Because I think you've had some yeah. a bit extra news this morning. The minister Minister Donnelly is going to come out and then talk to you, is that correct?
1: Yes. Right. Yeah. Like he, he has been hugely supportive yeah. of us um and to make sure that this legislation progresses through through the process and to make sure that we do get the legislation that we need you know um, like he did pause the assisted human reproductive bill in order for the surrogacy committee last year to do their work to make sure that that report was done properly you know so um, you know he really has been wonderful to make sure that this is done correctly and it's done quickly you know for us because he realizes that a lot of families need this legislation immediately you know for their children.
4: Well Sarah Byrne of Irish Families to Surrogacy thanks very much for your time this morning um, and the best of luck with uh, what you're doing outside the doll today at 4pm
3: Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House.
2: Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM.
3: Hi, it's Elmery. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you
2: all about them. The Arts House.
3: Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home.
4: Sports, 96 FM. You're hey very welcome back. It's Joe Shea sitting in for PJ. Uh, before we move on, we got a lovely uh, little message in here, uh, a tribute, so to speak. It's for Garda Fiona Byrne who retires from the Garda after serving in the force for 30 years. It's this Monday, and Fiona, who's stationed in Toker, will hang up her uniform and park up her paddy wagon and say goodbye to all of her colleagues who've become part of her family. All the gang at the station want to wish you the very best of good luck, health, and happiness. That's card of Fiona Byrne in Toker, which is close enough to where I live. So uh, well done, Fiona, and enjoy your retirement. Uh, now, we're going to talk to Greg Canty of Fusion Communications, a man who knows about communications and a man who's probably used to well used to talking on the radio. But Greg, you're very welcome to the show this morning, first of all.
14: Thanks for Joe. Yeah. Good, uh,
4: good, good to hear you at the other end of uh, the radio. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to talk to you. But it's what we're going to be talking about today is actually a subject that's been coming up a lot recently, and that's electric vehicles, because you're not exactly.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
4: Exactly, a great fan. After having, so to speak, road tested the the concept.
14: Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, to say I've road tested it would be true. I bought an electric vehicle last year. Yeah. Uh, in May, uh, full electric. You know all of the joys of it. Um, I politely handed it back to the garage as early as I could in January for a hybrid. Right. Um for this, yeah, for the simple reason that the full electric, it's just unworkable, absolutely unworkable for what I needed it for.
13: Right. And,
14: you know, I want for anyone listening to be clear about that. I, I get 100% that it's good for our climate and everything else. Yeah. Um, But th- these things are being oversold. They're being communicated in a way that they're a solution to everything, not a bother. You know, they're as good as a regular car. Yeah. And yeah, the the, the guy in the garage that I deal with and I've been dealing with him for years, it's the only time I had war with him and I'll be quite honest with you. I'm just saying you need to be so careful when you're selling these cars to your clients. You know, you need to understand 100% right. what they do with their cars and the journeys that they need to take and all of that, you know. Yeah,
4: because like, if you look at the ads on the telly, this is the brave new world and this is we're doing our bit for the planet and it's a beautiful open highway and electric vehicles are fantastic and there's no drawbacks and they can do whatever you want them to do. They can drive you from here to Timbuktu in the morning and they're great. That wasn't exactly your experience.
14: No, not at all. Not at all. And, and, you know, on top of that, you're told the charging infrastructure is great. Yeah. You can There's charges everywhere. You pull in 20 minutes later, you're up and rocking again. Relax, have a cup of coffee. Uh, you save money. You know, it's a lot cheaper and more convenient than having, you know, expensive petrol or diesel or whatever. Yeah. And the, the, <laughs> that, that is not the case. But my, my very first experience was a drive to Dublin and I had it. I I took this big drive in my beautiful car, and the car was incredible, beautiful to drive, fast, powerful, enjoyable, all of that stuff. So you're told 350 kilometers range. Yes. That's brilliant. You do your calculations. You're heading up the road, and you're quickly looking at the, and you you know that the dials will tell you how much range you have left, and you're annoying. There's no more, there's, there's no chance of this doing 350 kilometres. So you get nervous, you're get
4: nervous and then you're thinking, well, okay, where can I pull in to start charging up? So, and, and actually on the Cork-Dublin Road, there are still not a lot of places you can pull in easily and, and charge up, are there?
14: Uh, not at all, not yeah. at all. And and the thing is, you know, if you're driving a petrol or a diesel, yeah, we're looking at the needle and when it starts going orange or whatever, I need to pull into a petrol station. Yeah. So there's a bit of stress that goes with this. Yeah. But when it comes to an electric there's only a few places that you can pull into, yeah. so that th- that heightens that stress immediately. Yeah. And, and and the big learning, Joe, and and this is what I found that all chargers are not created equal. So it's not a charger you need at the side of a road; you need a high-powered one. Right. So in in my case, you pull into Junction 14 or the other big junctions on the way up. There's only a few of these high-powered chargers around in Cork City. I think there's two of them. One yes. is at the airport, and that th- that'll, if you pull your car in there, it'll take you an hour, right? And you're up and running. If it's not a high-powered charger, good luck and good night. You're sitting there for hours,
4: right? Which is um, just, and, and
14: and it's not practical. It's yeah. not practical. It just doesn't work.
4: No, you might as well get the air coach at that stage. So the, but you saved loads of money, didn't you? I mean, it was really really cheap to drive around in this. Yeah.
14: Uh, No. It it, it, it really isn't. So the car is more expensive to begin with. Yes, And that's okay. You get your charger installed at your home. Mm. Now, absolutely, the government will give you a grant and all that kind of thing. That's fine. Um, But once you start hitting the charge network, the guys in the garage will tell you, you know, you'll be charged up for a few quid. It's not the case. You need a subscription as well for whatever network you're plugging into. The esp one is $4.99 a month, which isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah. You pull into Junction 14, you start charging. And then th- there's another little thing that they need to warn you about. At these high-powered chargers, at 45 minutes there's a penalty of another 11 euros. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So so basically, they're penalizing you for being there too long. The reason yeah. you're there too long is it takes that amount of time to charge, to charge the car. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So so now you're having your cup of coffee, you're having your sandwich, you're trying to relax. You've got one eye on your stopwatch because at 40 minutes, you need to run out, yeah. unplug, and plug it in again so you don't get penalized by 11. Right. Yeah. Um, and and you know, in, in my case, I wasn't doing loads of long journeys on like what it was like before. But you, I, I have the knowledge that I can take a long journey in this car. Yeah.
4: And which, which so it's, it's for, in the back of your mind every time you're thinking. If somebody says, "Can you be up in Dublin? We need to have a meeting." Whatever, it's always in the back of your mind. Well, do I take the, the EV? Will I have to? Will I be forced to pull over? Will it? Will Will there be a queue of cars at the high power charging point point as well? I suppose. Uh,
14: uh, uh, absolutely, yeah. and, and that happened to me. You know, your yeah. mother coming in from the states, and you're collecting at Dublin Airport. Yeah. You say. Okay, so do you get up an hour earlier so you can charge? Yeah. Or will your mother put up with an hour at the airport when she's exhausted from coming back course, yeah. from the states or whatever? Um, so, but what I would say for anyone contemplating a full electric,
4: yeah,
14: let it be the second car in the family. Yes. And let it be the small runner-up Right. So going to going down to
4: going down to Dunn's, uh, you know, bring the kids to school, that kind of stuff. A little city city runabout that they make more sense. Yeah. then.
14: Perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. And install the charger at home. Right. D- don't even be messing around with the the charges that you see around the city. Right. The, the, from from my experience, they're pointless. Right. Utterly pointless.
4: Uh, the, it's interesting. The the EV grant of five thousand euros that the government was giving out that's going that's gone in July. So you know, if, if that did make I suppose it did make more sense to to get it because you were getting a grant, but the thirty percent of the cost or something like that up to thirty percent of the cost. But that's gone in July. So even even then, it's almost the government is making it you know less attractive to to get these cars.
14: Yeah, and these cars are more expensive to begin with anyway. So in a way, those grants were kind of leveling the playing pitch yeah. a little bit. Um, we're not ready. I think the range needs to improve with the cars, and okay. they are getting a little bit better the whole time. Christ. the charging network—it doesn't. It's not robust enough. It just doesn't hold up. Okay,
4: all right. Listen, that's great, Greg. It sounds like we're looking at a couple of years down the line, maybe before they become fully practical. But I appreciate you talking to us today and sharing your experience with that because it's important for people to know. Go into it, your eyes open, ask all the right questions because it's not—it's not, it's not the, the 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 golden the golden answer to everything, is it?
14: Yeah, no, no, it really isn't. And a great person to talk to are the taxi drivers around Cork City who've gone electric. They'll wax lyrical, and in my experience, that they're all telling me it's been a bit of a disaster for them.
4: Okay, Greg Canty, thank you very much for talking to us today.
14: Thanks for so Joe. Take
4: okay. it easy. Now we're moving on, and we're kind of staying in the transport realm as well, because this is very important, and again, it's very, very timely. Because if you hadn't heard, the uh, deadline for applying for uh, school transport for your kids is this Friday. So please, that's for next year. So please make sure to be no and note about that. It's a bit. Um, it's been a bit of a problem for a lady called Olive, who we're going to talk to now. Uh, she is her child. Was one of fifteen school kids in the Balunhasig area area who refused entry onto the school bus this week due to ongoing problems with tickets. And she's here to tell us about it. So, Olive, you're very good. You're very welcome to the show this morning.
16: Hi, Joe. Thank you for having me. Yeah,
4: great. Uh, you're very welcome. Uh, tell me what happened with your child this morning uh,
16: or um, this week. With this week, my child was refused because we're in the concessionary area. My child. Um, does, did not get a ticket uh, last September. But because of my situation, I was still putting my child on the bus without a ticket all along. And then Monday, she was coming home from school, she got on the bus, asked for ticket, no ticket. So she rang me saying, Mom, can you come in and collect me? Um, which was okay because I was available. Mm. And then it... Um, resulted then say Wednesday I was working yesterday and because it was such short notice um, I wasn't able to organise someone to collect my daughter from school mm. so I was actually left with no option but to keep her at home from school yesterday mm. I could have dropped her in the morning before work but as school is finished at 1pm which is most people's busiest day yes. hour of the day I had no, no one to collect her
4: yeah. Okay, Olive, can you, can you take us through When you say you're in a concessionary area, what what does that mean exactly?
16: Concessionary area is, a, how it works is that um, they've designed a scheme where if you live within the boundary area, I'm not sure of the distance, someone might clarify that. Mm. Uh, if you live within a specific distance from the school and you are a feeder of that school, you're automatically entitled to a bus ticket. Right. So whether I've been getting bus tickets for five years, say, if someone else who's entitled to a ticket automatically she that child jumps on the bus um say in her last year of schooling, she can then push me off off the bus. But mm. because if everyone within the zone, mm. feeder zone, gets a ticket, then they look at the people outside this concessionary zone and if there's any seats left on the bus, then they just feed it out to see how many kids say there's five seats left, then they pick five children with outside the, the boundary line.
4: Okay. So when you say you didn't have a ticket, but is it a case that you didn't have a ticket for your child, but she was entitled to travel?
16: Uh, no, she actually, she, she's not entitled to travel on the bus at all. But I have no option but to put her on the bus because mm. the bus actually leaves outside my door. Okay. There is children getting on that bus with tickets, mm. but because I have to get to work and yes. um, I can't drop my child to school and then try to be uh, at work on time. Mm. And just to clarify as well, Joe, um, the 15 kids you just spoke of is that um, last September when I found out I didn't have a ticket, I actually set up a WhatsApp group myself and I was able to reach out to 15 parents and they were in my area that did not get a, a ticket. So there is they weren't ask for tickets I say on the monday it's just I know that there's 15 parents or 15 children that do not have tickets within my area
4: okay and and sorry why don't they have tickets you're entitled to, to uh, I assume your child is entitled to transport to school well, how is she fall how are they how are these children falling through the cracks or how do they end up in a grey zone so to speak
16: i suppose it's just the ongoing issue Joe, all along is that the fact that um there is not another bus set up. Right. If we had another bus set up like all these children would be would be able to travel on a school bus. Right. But many times I have just been told I'm meeting the same answer all the time is that every seat is given up so to a child on your bus, yet when my daughter was travelling on the bus without a ticket, mm. she would say, ma'am, there is still a couple of seats available. Right.
4: So it's a capacity issue is what we're talking about it here. It is, is indeed, yeah. Right.
16: No, indeed. and I have gone down every avenue to yeah. try to set up a bus. I've spoken to all my local representatives. Mm. I've, I've actually gone down the route of going private bus, but obviously due to insurance and everything, it's yep. too expensive. Um, i 've sent numerous emails i 've been on zoom calls in September with um, local representatives in trying to like sort out the issue, trying to organize another bus mm-hmm. each time it 's met with can 't get another bus because there 's not enough children available without a seat and, and one phone call I spoke with a, a local representative. And um, he said to me that I need 10 or more children to get a bus. But you had 15. But I was like, I have 15 right now.
4: Right, yeah.
16: And he's like, oh, how did you get those numbers? And I said, I put out the feeders.
13: Yeah.
4: It's a, it's, I know it's a system that's been under a lot of strain. There's problems finding local drivers as well. Insurance costs have gone through the roof. It's kind of the same story that we see in a lot of services. It's become very expensive to run. It must be difficult for you as, as a working mother to, to kind of organise your life from suddenly around this because you know pe- parents will know it is a massive hassle getting kids to, to to school in the morning if you have to drive them yourself and picking them up. How How has it impacted on your life?
16: It has... All along, it the lottery system. My child gets on the bus, Grant. She's on the bus, brilliant. And so I was kind of playing it by ear. But now it has resulted yesterday, due to the system that the government has designed, I actually had to go to work. And I was forced to leave my child at home from school, which, this, like, at this point, I know we're four or five weeks away from the summer, and I actually saw red. I was like, how has it actually come to a parent leaving a child at home from school because she cannot get her home from school, yet there is a bus passing her door.
4: Yeah. Sorry, the go government
16: on. and the system have pushed me to force my child to stay at home from school.
4: Yeah, what's interesting to me as well is that it's almost been left up to the parents to to organise, to get together, to get the numbers, to you know, to count the heads, to kind of say, right, here we are, we're ready now. Can you please give us some transport? It doesn't seem to be a very joined up system, or at least a very uh, reactive system that should be looking at the the needs of the parents.
16: No, it 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 has never looked at the needs of the parents Mm. even before say, Norma Foley last summer announced, you know, the school bus is now free, everybody can avail of it. But even before that system, it was still a concessionary system. You might, you might not get a seat. And even what is very frustrating as well is the fact that I now have paid fully 75 euros for my child for September.
13: Yes.
16: But... I still now have to wait for mid-September to find out whether she has a ticket or not. And that was always the case. And I think the system, the new application forms are closing tomorrow. Yes. And a lot of the new parents don't know this system.
4: Yeah, they're assuming. Uh, uh, that's a very good point. I think the new parents especially, kind of say, well, I, I, I fill out the application form, I pay for the, the 75 euros or whatever it is for the ticket. And then in September, a bus will show up outside the house and everything will be fine. And uh, that's
16: exactly how I thought it was. When yeah. Look, when I saw the bus, uh, um, when my my child was in second year, and when I first saw the bus uh, before she started secondary school, I was like, "Oh, brilliant! I'm outside the school bus. Wow!" But she, I can't. I can't even put her on a bus that's like literally twenty feet from my door.
4: And you've you filled out the forms. You've you know, you've, you've applied yeah. for tickets. You're ready to pay for tickets. Everything. It's not as if you're asking. You know, you're trying to sneak or yourself and the other parents are trying to sneak kids onto the bus or game the system in any way. You're just asking for what other people take for granted. I suppose at this stage.
16: Um. Yes. Like yeah. it's not even for take it for granted. Joe. Everyone yeah. in the schooling system should be entitled to a seat on a bus. Of course. Yeah. And it should be a case. Like there's a bus and a seat for everyone. It should be it should be that. It shouldn't be a case that your a parent should have to is forced to leave their child at home because they can't get him home from school at one o'clock. Right, okay. And going forward now for the next five weeks because my child does not have a, a seat, I have to now sit down the night before, or the week before, and decide I can get my child to school. How can I get her home? Who how can I juggle this?
4: Well, Olive, this it's a, it's a very difficult situation to be in, and I'm sure parents, you know, all over Cork, will be sympathising with you. Hopefully, you'll be able to get it sorted. I know it's a very difficult in the short term, but hopefully, you'll have a bit better situation in September when the school starts again. It's very important to remind people the deadline is for applying for next uh, school year is tomorrow, so make sure to do that. And Olive, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank
16: tonight. you.
4: Thanks for taking my call. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Now, earlier we were talking about uh, Cork Airport and the petition that are going for people asking uh, can we get restored the routes, Cork-Newquay in Cornwall, can we restore to Leeds-Bradford and people are are, you know, it's it's something that comes up again and again we want to see more connectivity we want to see more routes, it would be great to get to some cities in Germany for instance it would be fantastic to get to Scandinavia where a lot of Cork people are living and have connections there we have a statement from from Cork Airport, uh, and they're saying that uh, yet before the pandemic, uh, the Cork New Key route was operated by Stobart Air on behalf of aerlingus Regional. Now, as you may know, Stobart Air ceased all operations in June 2021. Um, they are it 's Lee, uh, Lees Bradford as well, actually, which commenced in March 2016 is also Stobart Air. Now, that didn't last very long and what happened was Storbert decided there wasn't enough people travelling. Unfortunately, what happens a lot, as far as I can work out, and I've been looking at Cork Airport and other airports for years, is the, often the, the operators won't give the route enough time to build up uh, you know, a regular uh, a customer, reg- people regularly travelling it. But... Cork Airport are saying at the moment they're looking, they're aware of the petition to re-establish the routes. They know about it. They're taking um, they're taking notice of it. They are looking at these routes on a commercial basis, but they have to work commercially. Cork Airport can't obviously go to airlines Ryanair or whoever and say, "Listen, guys, you have to do start doing Cork, um, you know, leads tomorrow." They're saying they're a uh, Cork Airport is constantly in contact with people with with the airlines and the operators asking them about and pointing out as well the possibilities and the opportunities out there there is good connectivity very good connectivity in, in, in most cases from to London and the UK and tomorrow as we said that new Bristol service will start as well so um, I suppose what we're hoping and I'm sure everybody in Cork Airport is hoping the same thing is that as things start to get busier over the summer as Cork starts to get busier as well that we are going to see more routes and that we're definitely going to see more connectivity because it's very very important Um The uh, Reiner also should say as well, commencing a new twice-weekly service to East Midlands Airport, and that'll be three times weekly from May onwards. So it's a good idea to keep up on what Cork Airport is doing because it is coming to a very busy time of the year and there are more more routes being added, and we appreciate them getting back to us here at 96FM and giving us that clarification and statement. Now. Uh, there's a couple of texts in we've actually quite a uh, a few texts in going back to a conversation we had earlier uh, with Catherine and the dogs um, we were talking about muzzles and uh, 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 Bernie has got in touch to say it's not the dogs that are wrong in the world it's not the dogs that are causing the problem in parks and corks it's the owners, it's the people who, who don't keep them on lead and you know, don't use muzzles. So that's a very good point. It's owner behaviour we need to be looking at. We are now going to uh, take a break, and uh, we'll be back to you shortly. Thank you.
7: Some do it for the challenge, some for charity, and some for the cheer. Yeah, we run and we run and we run. Corks
3: 96 FM invites you to run the Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 4th.
7: Whatever you do it for, be part of this summer's favorite feel good event. Run
3: solo in the fuller half marathon, or take part in the first ever 10 kilometer race, which can now be run solo or part of a team, which now includes ages 15 plus and up. Yeah,
7: we run and we run and we run. Sign up for Cork's feel good event of the year.
3: Register at corkcitymarathon.ie for Sunday, June
7: 4th with Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Oh, hello.
3: Join the conversation! Call 0818-969696. 96 96 96.
2: Extra WhatsApp 83 96, 96, 96.
3: Email opinion at 96FM.ie.
2: This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cox96FM!
4: It's Joe Shea sitting in for PJ Coogan. No. It's been reported us this, this week that one of the most um, extreme uh cosmetic procedures or or surgical procedures that men can get, leg lengthening surgery has become is becoming more and more popular amongst men who are looking to add a few inches. So it got us thinking here about strange procedures that people are having to alter their looks. And we're thinking about who should we talk to about that? Well, of course, Mary Jane O'Regan, otherwise known as Galamity Jane, one of Cork's best-known beauty experts. She's the lady to talk to, and she's been looking at some of these Strange beauty fads gaining popularity across the the globe. Mary Jane, you're very welcome this morning.
17: Hi, Joe. How are you?
4: I'm good. But tell me about this leg lengthening. Um, that sounds painful. It must be. Is it?
17: Yeah. Oh, definitely. And there's lots of things that can go um, that can go wrong with it. Um, GQ actually um, did an article on it late last year, mm-hmm. and they were just saying that like. A, it's 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 very prevalent with men, yeah. Um, and it's very expensive, obviously, as well. Um, and you know, the the surgery can take you um from three to six inches longer in your leg. Um, but unfortunately, it sounds very brutal, Joe. It does. You need to have both of your femurs broken.
4: Yeah.
17: Um, to have it done. Um, and um, like. They put, they put God, in the
4: steel rods in, in, inside. Oh, apologies if anybody's squeamish <laughs> about this. But they put steel rods inside the broken bones. Yes. And they almost jack it. Like every time the bones are almost about yes. to knit, they jack this, the rods and, and kind yes. of spread them out again and spread them out. And this is six to eight months to do this. And then you're, you're, you can't walk and you're, are in, a, you're in mobility. And then you can maybe go on a walker and go on a cane and, Yes. It costs up to $120,000 to do it in the U.S. as well. Yes. Uh, it it's just sounds... Um, yeah, can you understand, Mir, Jane? can you understand the mentality behind men who, who might want to do this? Because it does seem uh, very extreme.
17: Like, it is, do it, you know what? It is extreme and it's very... Um, like it's very brutal. It's a very brutal mm. um, procedure. And as you say, like it's it's that they 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 do a millimetre. The, the the nails are extended one millimetre every day for ninety days, mm. um, with by a magnetic remote control. Um, and then you're taller. So I suppose the the psychology behind it is I think that men love to be taller. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a lot of it. Um. And I think like, you know, looking at it and and reading about it, you know, the recovery is very, very um, long and um, like, you know, it can cause kind of things like softness in the bones and stuff like that. And if anyone's carrying any weight, you can imagine putting that amount of pressure and stuff on those bones. I think it's just like for for men, men love to be tall. Yeah. And I, I see this quite a lot on social media where they're like, oh, why do women only go for tall men? And then women kind of coming back saying, well, no, we don't only just go, you know, we just like the men to be taller than us. So I think um, like it seems to be a very extreme yeah. thing for like the confident man to do. Yeah, well, it's to it's- gain a little bit.
4: Yeah, a little bit of confidence. Yeah, I suppose it is a confidence thing. And I always think that people are attracted to people who are, it's not so much confidence, but in happy with the way they are. And if you can be happy with the way you are, however you're created, I think that's very attractive. But we know, we know people want to do these. It it, it seems to the kind of the range of things you can do to yourself with cosmetic surgery now uh, is expanding all the time. Tell me about Fox Eye, because that's one that, that I hadn't heard about before.
12: Yeah. So
17: a fox eye is basically now this isn't even an extreme, we'll say, procedure in terms of it's something that can be done like as a day kind of patient. And basically what it is, is that it's for the facial area. So a lot of women quite like having um, a sort of a lifted brow, but a a sort of a more like a cat eye sort of as well. Yeah. Um, so um it's now this isn't really a permanent thing um, you can have it done surgically, and it's called a canthoplasty um and it's basically lifts and repositions the corner of the eye um it can correct kind of drooping eyelids and stuff, mm. but <clears throat> there's lots of kind of i suppose. In surgery, like in a in a more casual way, there's a lot of places that are doing it with threads and stuff. Yes, and there are big risks associated with that because you can go blind and stuff like that when you're so near the eyes. Um, <clears throat> it's so, um, I suppose, invasive. Like people have been having blepharoplasty for years, and what that is is that it's an upper and lower. Kind of removal of like the fatty part of the skin mm, yeah. because sometimes it can impede your your vision and stuff like that. But this canthioplasty is like um gives you this kind of am, more almond shape eye.
4: Yeah, I, um, and I know it. And the fox eye kind of makes sense because I've I've seen these people on TV and I watch shows like Botched, and you may you may yeah. be a fan of that yourself.
17: I um, am such a fan of Cherry yes, <laughs> like yeah,
4: no, It's kind of addictive, but it it, it it seems to me that these kind of procedures. They can be fine as long as people know where to stop and also get them done by people who know what they're doing. But it, there's always the risk and we see it on Botched all the time. It, 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 can, it can go very badly wrong very easily, can't it?
17: Oh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And And like it's, I suppose, you know, when you're looking at going down the surgical route as opposed to something maybe like anti-wrinkle injections mm. or filler, when you're going down the full on surgical route, like a lot of the time that isn't reversible, you know, Yeah. Um, if they take something out, a piece of skin out, they can't really kind of put it back in. Yes. Um, And people are doing things as well, like having their um <laughs> belly button surgery, like so having, you know, you know, people that have outy belly buttons. Yeah. So that they want an innie. <laughs> okay. So it's like a, it's like a hernia thing, but it's it's purely um, that's purely like a cosmetic yeah, thing because it, they it's see, a hernia, it, but it's
4: yeah they see the they see. The the influencers and they see people in magazines and they have this perfect flat stomach with a perfect, you know, perfectly yeah. sculpted belly button. But it's, I don't know, it kind of strikes me if the, if the main thing you've, you're worrying about in your life is the shape of your belly button, maybe, um, maybe, it's, you yeah, maybe you need to reassess your priorities. But also, as well, like, you know, I, I did, I've done some stuff uh, written about and also did, done some stuff on TV about male cosmetic surgery in Ireland. And one of the more interesting things to me is the two main procedures that. Guys get done in Ireland. The main one, by far, uh, up until recently, at least, anyway, was um, rhinoplasty for guys who had got their yes. nose broken playing rugby, playing hurling, playing football, or whatever. True life. That's a very popular one. Yeah. Uh, and and it is yeah. But also as well for breast reduction for men. Uh, that that's what yes. that's done a lot as well. Have you come across that yourself?
17: Yeah, like I mean, definitely with rhinoplasty, that's something. It's just kind of a, it's kind of categorized as a sports injury, and sometimes when your nose gets broken or whatever, you can get a deviated septum. So yeah. people kind of need it done because they have problems with snoring, or they kind of they have whistling through their nose, or mm-hmm. one of their nostrils is blocked. Yeah. Um and with the um, the male. Um, Breast reduction surgery, that, that happens um, with, um, like, so that's, again, a kind of a more of a medical procedure. Yes. But it is sometimes done for people that have the moobs, as they're kind of loosely yes. called. Um, so that could be somebody that maybe lost a lot of weight and they might have excess skin. Yeah. And so they need to get that, they need to get them reduced. And that's kind of similar to a woman. But sometimes men just form, you know, very small um, almost like adolescent female breasts. Yes, and they need to have them um reduced, and a lot of like the rhinoplasty and the the breast reduction thing um or the pec, the pec area, surgery. It, it to me doesn't seem very extreme because no. that is something maybe that if you're if you want to you know go to a beach and have your top off. Yeah. Or if you're if 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 you're having problems sleeping, but the leg lengthening thing to me just seems like. Really, really mega, mega extreme. Yes. Um, and it's it's so invasive and and like crazy, and there's a massive increase in men going now for more aesthetic procedures and stuff like that, which it, you know is understandable. But the the leg lengthening thing, I don't get. And again, it looks like, like it looks like that. It's nearly becoming kind of more popular and that's very worrying you know yeah. like that's kind of downtime for like something that is essentially a cos that's cosmetic like it's not necessary
4: yeah, t- t- times have changed, of course, a lot. And I was I was walking through town last summer in Cork, and uh, there was a brow bar, and there was a uh, I was walking past, and you know you could see people sitting up mm. on the chairs and uh, the thrones almost, and there was three young lads in tracksuits sitting up, getting their, their eyebrows waxed or whatever it was getting. Yeah. and I thought, listen, Definitely. great, why not? You know, they're they're taking oh, care brilliant. of their appearance. Go for it.
17: They call it a guy brow. A guy brow. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's. I know where you're talking about. It's the one there on Oliver Plunkett Street. Yeah. Um, and there, yeah, and I. That's where I get my brows done, and I see a lot of. There's an awful lot of guys go in there. Mm. Um, and they choose a brow specific place because you can have. You can still get your brows trimmed, but they can still be quite masculine. Mm. I think. Um, you know. Look, I know myself. I know a few of my friends that are men that would just get them done in the barbers. You know, they're getting a haircut. They, yeah. The barber just says, "Do you want the brow kind of do, done in yeah, the ears?" I do done that. And all that, of
4: course. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to go that's, around that's, going, that's, go around looking like you've got two bushes growing off the front.
17: Yeah. of your face. <laughs> and like, that's our age as well. Yeah. You know, as you get older, you get bushier brows. Yeah. But younger guys certainly are are definitely seeing the benefits of um of of getting their brows waxed or threaded, which is um which is great you know it's it's good to see and I, I think the the whole um, manscaping situation ha- has become very very popular and there's a lot of salons now that are kind of specializing in, in male intimate waxing and, and male waxing because it wouldn't have been maybe something maybe um, they might have shaved their chest before they went on holidays or whatever before yeah. but now it's, it's 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 becoming much much of a bigger thing but those are all kind of really positive things that that people can do on a on you know that that are safe, um to do. Yeah. But um the leg lengthening surgery, God.
4: Yeah, I think um I think now the intimate waxing, I always think of Steve Carroll in the uh, in Forty Year Old Virgin, and I think no, that's um, that's I'm never going to do that. But listen, <laughs> Mary Jane, thanks very much for talking to us this morning. It's fascinating that these kind of more what would have been seen as very extreme procedures are becoming more extreme. Pleasure to talk to you this morning. Thanks, Joe. Bye. Bye. Okay, we'll take a little break. We'll be back with you shortly.
17: Question
0: 10. Who plays the penguin
9: in the new HBO TV series? Uh, Throw a guess. Uh, Colin Farrell. For €2,000. Man alive. Who plays the penguin in the new HBO TV series? You said Colin Farrell. The answer is... Colin Farrell. You've just won! €2,000!
0: Oh my
2: God. Ah. Oh my God.
12: <laughs>
7: Murphy! You chancer! Oh man, that is unreal! Unbelievable! You just won two thousand euro in cash for sixty seconds work. How are we now? Wow! I'm, I'm actually getting married on Friday, so no it's, uh, way! Delightful! Thank you, man. Stacking up the
2: cash, cash, cash. The two grand minutes Listen to play at seven forty and eight forty every day on Casey and Ross in the morning. <laughs> 96FM
4: you're very welcome back. It's Joe O'Shea sitting in for PJ. Now, uh, it was a very very big night in the Premier League last night of course, my own arsenal getting uh, trounced, but uh, Premier League Live is back on 96FM.ie FM. Uh, with Trevor Welch this Saturday from midday, powered by TalkSport. We'll bring you live coverage of Crystal Palace in West Ham at 12.30 and Brighton take on Wolves at 3pm. That's the Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. Listen Saturdays on the Cork 96 FM app or go to 96fm.ie Now um, at around quarter past six this morning I was walking up Coburg Street in uh, the city centre in Cork uh, by McCartan Street of course just over the bridge and there is a lot going on there, and uh, we've got somebody to tell us all about that now. The man who knows it's Shane Clark. He's the, Shane Clark. He's the director of operations at the VQ, the Victorian Quarter, and uh, we said we'd catch up with him to discuss what's going on in the area. Uh, good morning, Shane. Joe, very good morning to you. Uh, it's good to have you, Shane. If you walk down Coburg Street this morning, as, uh, as I did, uh, it looks a bit of a mess, but it's 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 for a good reason, isn't it?
9: It's it, it's a bit of a mess, there's no getting away from it. Yeah. We're a bit like in the in the in the VQ, we're a bit like the kid waiting for Christmas. You know, yeah. that we know there's a great prize coming and that's a fabulous bit of public realm and you know, street design and traffic calming. Yeah. Uh so we're in the sort of um cracking eggs to make an omelette phase, but yeah. it's gonna be
4: Fab. yeah because one of the things i noticed as well there's some beautiful light stand uh what, what do you call them light standards or public public lighting the the lamp posts basically the, kind of retro looking kind of victorian looking they have only gone in recently have they
9: i think there's there's two things that that happened very quickly in the sort of last week the sort of victorian lampposts. Uh, went in and the old sort of mix and match came out and the other thing that was really rather remarkable to my eye looking down is something you don't notice there was a spaghetti junction of wires crisscrossing the street of electricity cables and so on and so forth and that's gone and it's just it's like taking a a big deep breath and going my goodness you know you can see Shandon you can see the bells you can see the sky it's just nice and neat and tidy, so yeah. that was a nice step forward.
4: Yeah, for people who don't know Coburg Street, maybe you know if you come over the bridge and in, instead of turning right onto, onto McCartan Street, you go left, and there's that little street. There's where the is it the Ashling Hotel is there. Uh, there's the, um, the the comedy club. Um, you've got some great bars. You've got the Corner House, which is a fantastic uh, cork pub. You've got Sinead and you've got the lovely little Abbotts Ale House as well down the corner for craft beer fans. It's a it's it's a street that was kind of battered and bruised and beaten but it's got so much potential hasn't it?
9: it it's sort of hiding in plain sight you know those who know it know but like you said it's got bloody marvellous pub. It's got top-ranked yeah. pubs. Yeah. It's got the comedy club. Uh, it's a lovely, handsome knit of streets and, yeah. you know, it's been sort of dominated by traffic and noise and yes. hasn't had maybe the TLC that it might have. But I think that's turning around and actually I think people will see it with new and fresh eyes when the, yeah. when the scheme is actually complete, which isn't that far away.
4: Yeah, when is, I mean, I know you can't give us an exact date when you'd be cutting the ribbon and all that kind of stuff, but when, <laughs> when is when is it going to be, do you think, ready to go?
9: My, my understanding is they will finish Coburg Street first if like Uh, and I think it's sort of um, end of the summer I wouldn't have a a I wouldn't have a date I'd defer to my uh, friends and colleagues and peers in Cork City Council and I would right. like to give a shout out to them. Yeah. They have done a bloody marvellous job, you know. Yeah. it is it's a challenging thing for the business and the residents, but fair play to them. Yeah. They they've they've cracked on and done a fairly sterling job. Yeah.
4: I mean it's it's funny, you know, pe- cork people, we love our city. Um we've but we've also suffered along with it as it's kind of been abused down in down the years so to speak. But we're just starting to see now McCorton Street, Coburg Street and, and also what's going on, on the other side of the river as well has to be said. Don't yeah. prince Princess Street, and you're starting to see some very, very positive positive developments, aren't we? We're starting to see kind of a, a real life come back into the city, but also kind of that sense of, of of being a place where we can hang out, we can enjoy, we can spend time, and not just as Cobourg Street was somewhere to drive through in horrible traffic to get through as quickly as possible.
9: I think. Look, I've I've been in the city six years ago. We sort of took a bet on Cork, yeah. and I think actually I'm finally feeling it's starting to play. Play out or pay out or play out, you know. There's right. just things happening, and a bit and loads more happening. And you know, I jumped in the VQ. Our sort of our basic policy policy is boosterism, you know, yeah. and I think, uh, you know, people like to be associated with success, yeah. and I think we're going to start seeing it on Patrick Street soon as well. Look, it's a great city, and I think people need to concentrate on the positive, because yeah. there's loads coming, and positive things bring positive things.
4: Yeah, I know, and the McC- McCartan Street has, has come forward in leaps and bounds there. I mean, if, you know, especially I always say to people, I live in the city centre myself, I know you live in the city centre yourself, but I say to people, like, that maybe haven't been in in a while, uh, to you know come in have a look go to mccurtain street go to prince street spend some time in the city because you uh, as cork people we're kind of guilty of not spending enough time in our in our own city so to speak but but it's it's all very positive at the moment isn't it
9: Oh, no! I, I absolutely think it is, and I think um, hopefully we're turning. I think we are turning a corner. And those that maybe haven't been in for a while, actually, when they come in, they can find something special, whatever their niche is, whether it's a comedy club or a brilliant pub or a night at the opera house. And actually, getting people back into the city, particularly getting residents into the city, yeah, is it's, cities are about people fundamentally. Marvelous if we have brilliant design and lovely architecture, yeah. but having a you know a real dense mix of people who love their city and call it their own. That's that's what makes a great city, and and Cork is a great city and I think the way we're going is in the right direction.
4: Okay. Shane, pleasure to talk to you this morning and all the best of luck with what you're doing in the Victorian quarter. It's, it's great stuff. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Now, we all remember from last year when the, uh, the might of the Russian Atlantic fleet was... Off face down basically by uh, fishermen Irish fishermen cork fishermen mostly off the uh, off our southwest coast it was a very serious issue because they were talking about conducting major naval uh, exercises inside our, our sort of our waters where we fish Now, within the last few days, yeah, I mean, like, the Russians haven't gone away, you know, because within the last few days, there's been a Russian vessel spotted off the Cork coast and two off the coast of Kerry, a Dingle. So we're going to talk to Patrick Murphy, who's with the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation, I think, in Castletown Bear. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Good morning,
18: John. Good morning. Morning to the listeners. Yeah,
4: Patrick, what's the latest here? Because I kind of think people thought, well, that problem's solved; the Russians are gone, we don't have to worry about that anymore. But that's not the case, is it?
18: No. Well, there's there's fierce concerns about um, the cables that are running that connect us to America. Yeah. You know, um, that bring our um, internet and everything else across the water and telephone lines. So it's a case that there are strategic assets on the seafloor. And not only that, they were talking about the wind farms and stuff like that. So we have been told um, that there are vessels uh, circling our waters and and kind of mapping it out. So our vessels that have an interest in it, Joe, like, as you said, we were the ones that uh, took on the might of the Russians. We we went and met uh, Yuri Filatov. We got the result we were looking for. And that was about actually... um, Ordinance being fired up into the sky and we were worried about where it would land yeah. and the dangers that that would afford our boats but not only that we were afraid our own government would tell us to get out of the way and that would cost a fortune for lads it's a two week uh, expedition for our boats to go out there yes. and it's only in, this, in, in the second week that let's start to turn profits you know covering all the expenses it's it's not cheap to get out there and burning yeah. fuel and fuel and food and everything else. So, you know, it's, it's something that we're after um, taking on board that we keep an eye on. Yeah. It's like the Skibarine Eagle. We have the Skibarine and the Castleton Bear fishermen keeping an eye on the Russian snow. And that's no joke. We've yeah. sent in um, pictures of, of the lads that are mapping it on their systems. You know, we have very modern technology on board vessels now, not to catch fish actually, but to actually avoid them, would you believe it? So we're only allowed to catch a certain amount of fish. I we lost 25%. Didn't break this, and we're into a political sphere now. We're, we're uh, I'm after joining into looking to go to Europe. So we're stuck in a lot of things to be honest with you, Joe. But yeah. um. You can be assured and the listeners can be assured that the the fishermen are keeping an eye on what's going on in the waters around them while they're there.
4: Do the fishermen ever... There was a a Russian, uh, in quotation marks, research vessel uh, very recently that was going up and down outside of or southwest south south-west. And that same vessel had been um, in the same area of uh, operations that were going on in the Baltic not so long ago, where they were suspected of looking at marine cables, and because it's no joke, if if our undersea cables are cut to to the rest of the world, that would cause catastrophic problems for Irish businesses for for, for everything here. It shuts down a lot of our digital traffic. It's, do the guys see these these ships out there, or can they just see them over the horizon on on the radar?
18: Most vessels, Joe, have um, tracking equipment on right. them. We yeah. have vehicle uh, vessel monitoring systems and we have AIS. And the AIS is for navigation and for boats um, in the merchant navy as well as fishing boats. And it's just to let boats know where you are and where you're fishing just in case you're coming into cross contact or steaming, you know. We have collisions and heard of collisions in the past of boats hitting one another. So this is just a safety mechanism. Yeah. But it can be turned off right, or yes. turned down. So you see if it's turned down and turned off, the only way you're going to know that these boats are there then is either they're going to hail in or they'll be seen visually by the fishing boats. And Mm -hmm. that's what our lads are doing. So they've been watching them. And if they don't show up in AIS, then they kind of flag it to say, well, these boats are there. But they're not making themselves known, and uh, and people can't see them. You know, there's been lots so of without fishing lo- boats outside there, you're, you're losing your eyes. is yeah. the way I describe it, you know.
4: Yeah. There's been lots of, of of media reports about the problems facing the the naval service because we know that there's 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 Irish naval ships tied up in in Cork Harbour. They can't go out there because there's a staffing shortage. I know that there's a lot of frustration among serving uh, naval personnel about this. They feel that they're not. They haven't got the tools to do their job. Is it is it a problem that we can't get our own ships out there to 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 monitor these guys?
18: Well, we should be able to get our boats out there. We have the boats, you have the equipment. Look, this is... We, we seem to have a labour shortage right across the board of of just our nurses and doctors. It's not just specific to the Navy lads, you know. And the Navy, you can understand, they go away from shore. It's not as if they turn around to come back in that night. So to, to, to serve... In such a situation, it's like the army—you're away from home, like so. Mm. You need to be properly rewarded for that sacrifice that you're making, you know. Yeah. And and that's understandable. So that's up to our government and to our minister for defence. And Simon Coveney was minister for fisheries before, and he's minister for foreign affairs. So he's a well-capable minister, and I don't think anybody needs to tell him what he needs to do. Yes. But he needs to get his colleagues in government to get on with it and make sure that these lads and ladies, um are properly remunerated for the service that they give. And look, that might sound queer from a fisherman saying this about the Navy, but yes. everybody's got their job to do. And this yeah. is about security. And as you said, it's no joke. Like, we'd be crippled in the morning if, if there was something like that. And sure, if you are in a war footing and we are have a war in Europe, then, you know, if it escalates, these will be the targets. Like, yes. So you do need your auxiliary forces, what we've been called now in the past, Um to, to do this, yeah. you know? So or, or it's really important okay. to have a, enough of fishing boats outside covering the ground outside as well yeah. and unfortunately there seems to be another drive to get rid of our fishing boats and we fought very hard against
4: I, it I, I, we're I'm
18: losing 40 more boats Joe. 40 not, more boats that, out of 180. You that know?
4: is that is a very serious one and it definitely is is, is one that uh, uh, an issue that needs to be discussed maybe at a different time but definitely in full because if we lose our own domestic fishing industry then we are cutting ourselves off from a from a great source of food, from a great uh, very important economic Economic sector and that's is so important but Patrick Murphy from the South and West Fish Producers Organisation thank you very much for talking to me this morning
18: thanks Joe and uh, anytime that you want to talk to us about yeah. fishing or anything related or even Europe when I'm going there now under the A2 banner uh, I'm more than okay. available that's great uh, anytime and listen thanks very much okay. it's great to get the opportunity to talk about our industry and let
4: people know we are there and we're something we should be minded it's an important one thank you Patrick
3: Join the conversation email opinion at 96fm.ie
2: This is the Opinion Mine with PJ Coogan Fox 96
4: you're very welcome back Joe Shea sitting in for PJ Now we've been doing the Snap the App Qualifier and people have been texting in And I believe we have Georgina Lane In Middleton on the line Hello Georgina
13: Hi Joe, how are you? I'm
4: very good, how are you doing?
13: Oh so excited! Good. One step closer. Yeah,
4: you're in. You're in the uh, the, uh, the quali- you're our qualifier, and you're in the I draw know. with Lorraine later this afternoon to win five hundred euros. So,
1: oh, I'd love it.
4: Yeah, what you? What would you spend it on? The obvious well, question.
17: i obvious. No, I'd be on my kids, like two little boys. Right. So I was thinking Emerald Park because I oh. have a community on Sunday. Take them up to Emerald Park and probably Funko Pops because they love them. <laughs> Some some what? Sunco pop. Oh, Go
4: pops. Oh, Go no, no, pops.
11: Sunco Pops. Yeah. They're like little statues, little little figurines.
4: Okay, that's that's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sunco pops. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So and and Emerald Park. That's a, that's Tato Park as it, was, isn't it? Yeah, it is Tato. I haven't
17: been yeah. up it since the name change, but right. like we were in Legoland in March, so. And
4: it's just as good. Taylor Park is just as yeah. good. That's great. Yeah, so so the, yeah, that's fantastic. And the communion this Sunday, uh, you, the good news is you'll probably get good weather for that as well, actually.
0: I know, I'm very lucky at the Bouncy Castle yeah. out the back. It's All meant right. to be nice. It's meant to be 18 <laughs> degrees
4: according to the weather. <laughs> I, 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 I was going to ask you about the Bouncy Castle because my own, my own daughter, whenever there's a party mentioned, is like, is there going to be a Bouncy Castle?
16: Yeah,
4: I'd book it in October. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> okay. Well, then, <laughs> Georgina, you know, best of uh, luck with it this afternoon. Uh, Lorraine will be making a draw and I hope you win and I hope you get to, to, to go to uh, Emerald Park.
17: Thanks so much, John. You did a great job today.
4: Thank you very much. Very Thanks nice of you it. to say so. Enjoy the rest you of your day. Are. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Now, we're going to talk to Saoirse Hanley. She's a feature writer with the Irish Independence and we're going to talk about something that if you're a teenager or a parent of a teenager, you will be very aware of which is prime energy drinks. Now, the prime energy drinks have hit Cork. They've recently hit Cork and they're basically promoted by two very famous kind of YouTubers. And they were selling in Cork City for one bottle of prime energy drink, which is basically a kind of sugary water energy drink kind of thing. 15 euros per bottle. Now, yeah, that's crazy. But it's fallen since to three euros a bottle, which is still pretty crazy. But there are concerns that maybe kids are spending too much money on this and they're too influenced by these guys. And to tell us about this is Sersha Hanley from, from the Irish Independent. Good morning, Saoirse.
19: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
4: It's well, great to talk to you. Um, Sersha, tell us, first of all, what, what is Prime Energy Drink and where does it come from?
19: So there's actually kind of two strands of it. They've got a Prime Hydration and Prime Energy. And they're both from this drinks company, Congo Brands. But the face kind of of both who came together to make these is two YouTubers, KSI and Logan Paul. So they're kind of, I suppose, like in the bottle, quite similar to what we'd know as like Lucasaid or maybe Red Bull or something like that. So Mm. they're not like, you know, any kind of wild new drink, but they have a couple of, you know, cool flavors like blue raspberry whatever that might be and um ice pop things like that so they're essentially an energy drink or sports drink so i suppose the kind of ones that you'd find to have like you know, after people have them after a run or something like that. But obviously, predominantly, it's a lot younger, non running cohorts that are um, yeah. taking them up.
4: Yeah. And, uh, the, the, you know, energy drinks are not a new idea. But what, what's worked well for this is, and, and I'm into boxing. So I've heard of Logan Paul because uh, he, uh, when he was a YouTuber, I didn't know much about him. When he got into boxing, I did hear a lot about him. He's a huge figure, isn't he? He's a major, major influencer for, for young boys, especially.
19: Major. And I think, you know, that's probably been the case for a long time in boxing as well. And then on YouTube and then to partner him with KSI, who's Mm. part of, you know, the YouTube group Sidemen, which are massive for the the same demographic. Mm. Like it's just ready made influencer marketing. Like you just have these this duo that are huge in their own right. And I think because they had been boxing rivals before, the fact of them coming together in sort of a business partnership Mm. kind of strengthened the, the, the narrative for them too that it's these two lads that were at odds and, and you know really literally fighting each other who have now created this sports drink or energy drink and it's just come with like ready-made massive hype and yeah. it doesn't seem to be going anywhere.
4: No, but should parents, I mean, you know, we, these are, we get scares all of the time and parents are warned to be worried about this and that and the other, but should parents be worried about in terms of addictive qualities of this? Are we talking about addictive as in it's so well marketed that kids can't help buying it? Or should we be worried about the ingredients or is it a mix of both?
19: Well, I think it's probably more on the side of they should be worried about the the kind of the, the needing to have it yes. and i suppose but but not the physical needing to have it like mm. there's only the hydration drink doesn't have any caffeine in it and it tends to rely on more things like it says you know it has antioxidants and mm. all of that but it's mostly a base of water and coconut water and then the energy version which is carbonated does have caffeine and that was like i think it's 200 milligrams and it's not i think that's the one that isn't recommended for people under 18 yeah. not that that's stopping people from buying it of but course. generally it's the hydration one that is kind of being seen more and I think because it probably is you know more available or accessible to a younger group who are the ones who are buying it anyway that's the one we've probably seen more of so I think the biggest worry is just trying to find it in the first place yeah
4: <laughs> because I know um, Aldi are selling it in the UK but they're not doing it here uh, and it's, it's it has popped up in a couple of supermarket chains hasn't it but it, it's there they can be hard to track down
19: yeah, I think none of the the major supermarkets really have been stocking it like like mm. that. Like Aldi in the UK had it, and I think the hope was that Aldi in Ireland would then be adopting the same. But they kind of came out to say there was no plans at the minute to have it here. But then Dun Stores quite randomly got a got yes. a supply last week, and they were limiting sales to four per customer yeah. to try and limit because <laughs> people were, <laughs> were grabbing
4: were grabbing the the uh, the the crates of them or the little boxes of them almost as fast as Dunn store staff could put them on the shelves. Isn't that right?
19: Yeah. And I mean, I think like part of that is just because for once they were they were marketed like they were on sale for two ninety nine. Yeah. Whereas if you buy them at some of these other stores, you're looking at about 15 euro or like there's crazy numbers on eBay. I don't know who's buying off eBay, but there is like really really high prices there and then posted on top of that. So I think seeing it at 2.99 yeah which is you know the recommended retail price made a big difference but mm. I think there was there was um a store in Belfast recently that I like had queues forming yes. before that even opened because similarly they were kind of randomly stocking it. It seems to be the kind of thing where these bigger shops are maybe getting a shipment and then Selling yeah.
4: those, and then that's it for the moment. Well, there was a store on, there was a vaping store randomly on Washington Street in Cork that uh, they put up on social media. We're going we're getting a shipment, we're getting a van load of Prime. And there was like 150 kids were queuing up. That's a couple of weeks ago. We're queuing up <laughs> yeah. to spend 10 euros each per bottle. Uh, and they had to limit the, the guys in the shop had to limit that it was like three bottles per kid or something like that. It's, I suppose, you know, crazes come along, crazes come and go. This is nothing new, but it's good for, for parents to be aware of it as well, isn't it?
19: yeah I mean I think it's one of these things that with like with any must have product there's kind of a sense of like you know you want it to be part of the club that has it, and mm-hmm. i think it's it's just that that it's like even amongst kids it's kind of a thing of everybody wants it because they've all seen someone else have it yeah. they want to have it, and things like that, and you know i mean like there's kind of for a lot of these internet personalities people do want to follow what they offer regardless of the cost you know because there's a name that comes with it and i think it's just more of the same really
4: yeah. um actually well while, while i have because you do you know about this have irish influencers managed to cut through to a market in the way that these guys like logan paul and ksi is, is it possible to be an irish influencer and make a, and make a living and make a good living out of it
19: I think it is. Like, there's a lot of Irish influencers that you see doing partnerships and things like that or kind of branching into you know, doing adverts or bigger campaigns. So even like the likes of like Tyke Fleming or, you know, there's Tony Cantwell is comedian, like all these people who have big internet personalities and followings, they do tend to be able to, to, to turn that into a profit, really, mm. you know, easily enough. And I think a lot of it obviously is down to the likes of TikTok, where you just are reaching a much bigger and wider audience more quickly who can kind of very quickly become fans. Because with YouTube, I think... For the likes of of those with big budgets, like, you know, KSI and the Sidemen and Logan Paul and stuff like that, that's probably quite an easy stream because they can put the work in and they have the money to do that. Whereas TikTok is so much more bite-sized and it's much easier to make content and it's much easier to to get that content out there that I think it it becomes profitable more quickly. And we have loads of, of Irish people that are very big on that and have been able to make a living from that essentially. Yeah. I don't know if it's in the same way of being able to kind of if, if they were to launch a product like this they would have the same appeal but I think that there's definitely a route there.
4: Yeah, It's funny you mentioned TikTok and, and for social media as a, a Cork woman, Anne O'Leary was made head of Meta Facebook in, in Ireland and effectively in Europe yesterday and one of her big battles will be to, to square up Meta against TikTok but but listen that's great, thanks very much for talking to us and it's, it is fascinating to hear about these guys and to know why our kids are Spending uh, 15 euros on a bottle of <laughs> energy thanks very much for talking to us this morning
19: thank you, bye
4: bye now, um, if you've been watching TV over the last couple of nights, there's a very good chance you've been watching the latest I'm a Celebrity It's back but it's not really back and the reason why is because this I'm a Celebrity The Legends" was actually recorded in South Africa last year as a kind of a backup uh, show in case the live I'm a Celebrity couldn't go out so possibly because of COVID So, I'm a Celebrity is back, kinda and we're talking to Thomas Cross Crossy, showbiz correspondent and presenter with FM 104 and he's the man who can tell us all about I'm a celebrity, South Africa. Crossy, the welcome to the show this morning.
0: Thank you very much. And you know what? It's really cool that it's back, but you don't have to vote. Yeah. There's none <laughs> of this pegging around going, you can vote for this person, but you vote for that person. <laughs> it's a fresh air.
4: Hold on a second. Isn't the whole point of uh, I'm a Celebrity that you're able to join in, you're able to vote, you're able to kind of make these celebs, you know, do these horrible things and, and eat and, and sex and all kind of unmentionables. Is it as much fun now that, the, you, you, know, it's, you know, it's pre-recorded and you're sitting there watching it and you can't interact?
0: I was trying to think about it, you know, what's the good thing and what's the bad thing about it this year? Yeah. I think the good thing about it is, is that the producers know which ones are really bad at these trials. yeah, And they're the ones that they're picking to do so you get the entertainment value. You had Janice Dickinson the other day oh, uh, with, one of the, with um, Jordan Banjo mm. eating the most disgusting of things. But Janice and her really quick wit yeah. and her slagging off Anton Deck was really, really good. Yeah. But that wouldn't have happened because the public obviously would have voted for Paul Burrell, yeah. uh, Princess Diana's uh, butler or someone like that. And you wouldn't have got the same yeah. impact.
4: <laughs> she, she's she been a real star and one of the things I love about Janet Sings, she goes around asking people and who are you and what do you do and who are you and the thing is they're all celebrities <laughs> you know, so, Oh, so <laughs>
0: it's so good now, the bad thing about it the yeah. bad thing about it be, not being live is that I think Ant and Deck are very half-arsed at this yeah. time there's something about them they're a bit more edgier they're a bit more ruder yeah. and they're a bit more they're getting involved with the trials yeah. which before all 20 years they never were involved in trials. Yeah. They were the ones that were our, our eyes explaining what's going on. They even did a trial themselves that they had filmed. And I was like, oh, I kind of think you've overstepped the line yeah, of yeah. what the magic of the show is. But look, three and I said it's been fantastic it's given us so much
4: yeah I think one of the things that maybe that the audiences and uh, fans are liking is the fact that it's, this is almost like the greatest hits of I'm a Celebrity it, they've <laughs> got all of the best from down the years like Gillian McKeith you know Carl Vordeman, Mylon Class, Sean Ryder I, and it's just Paul Burrell of course as well you know and uh, they've got these great characters and it's almost like they went in and, and obviously legends they took the best from each series didn't they?
0: Yes. Mm. Now there's been no talk over money yeah. about how much money they've all got. That Usually that's a big thing about it. Mm. And you kind of forget, like I was watching uh, Phil Tufnell who won it years ago. Yeah. Turns out he won it 20 years ago. I know. I was going, how is going, how was that 20 years ago? I remember that series. And that's the really nice yeah. thing about it. Uh, Mylene Class, Andy Wymas and uh, Tuff, um they could be going into it tonight. So they announced yesterday that they have to do a trial. Yes. Sorry, George Tuflo got into it and you have to figure out now who the what's going to happen who's going to be the normal cat mates going into the kind of like the dungeon of the camp and that's really cool because again the producers are are giving us a story that usually we have to kind of you know we're the ones that are navigating it but this time it's about sitting back relaxing yeah. watching it I it's sp- brilliant
4: yeah I suppose that's a, that's a good way to look at it the other thing and you've touched on it there the first I'm a celebrity is two thousand and three. And when I read that I was like, Oh my god, I'm getting so old. It doesn't seem like it's been <laughs> I that long.
0: The same T-
4: two decades. Two decades of I'm a celebrity. It's crazy. And, and
0: how things have changed. Yeah. Like if you look at it, Mylene Class okay, so she arrived in it last night in that second camp. Mm. Back when she was in it, what, 15, 16 years ago, the massive thing was, was the shower scene. Every single year, they <laughs> needed they needed a girl to be on, at that, you know, that rockery. Yeah. And yeah. they took a photograph in her bikini. Yeah. That wouldn't happen then. No, no. But imagine how it's cha- Like, yeah. so many things have changed. And she's actually brought that up. And she says, it's so refreshing to be back in it. And they're not watching me in that... White bikini that everyone seems to bring up every single time. Yeah, okay. That was
4: terrible. It's terrible yeah, yeah. seeing my Class in white bikini under a shirt. I'm really glad they got rid of that bit. <laughs> so. But it's 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 fun though, isn't it? I mean, it, a lot of people are saying, well, it's pre recorded, so it's not going to have the same buzz and you're not going to be able to vote, so you won't enjoy it. But it, it has been really fun so far, hasn't it?
0: It has been really fun. And mm. how they've been able to keep it secret is. Yeah. Crazy. There's rumors now that Joe Swash is going to be in it. Right. Whenever that's going to happen, yeah. that will be in the next couple of days. Katie Price, there's a rumor about her yeah. because everyone knows that herself and Peter Andre got together yeah. all those years oh, ago. God. All I'm, oh, God. On right. I'm a celebrity. That's right. Uh, the people that are being tipped to win it, Carol oh. Vorderman, yeah. Janice Dickinson, uh, they're the two front runners at the yeah. minute. And Helen Flanagan, yeah. which is mad. She The first time when she was in it, she left it because. She hated the experience. Yeah. She said it was the worst experience of her life. And now you're watching it and she's like "It's the strongest person yeah,
4: in it. loving it. Well, Crossy, listen, that's great. No, that's great to talk to you about this. And no doubt we'll be talking to you again over the next few weeks because it has been a great hit. But thanks very much for talking to us today. Amazing. Cheers. Okay, cheers. Now, today's show was edited by Emo O'Hay and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we had Wayne Hilton looking after me on the desk and signalling me frantically every now and again. PJ will be back in the hot seat tomorrow from 9 AM. I really enjoyed it. Thanks very much for listening. Good luck.
7: The Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 25th to 27th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. You make me feel
3: you can host a coffee break, fill a change collector box, or support your favourite sport on Jersey Day.
7: And we're always open to fun new ways to fundraise, so get planning now. Get
3: planning now. The Giving for Living Radiothon supporting Cork Cancer Services May 25th to 27th. You make. Me- you feel
7: Only on Corks 96FM.